You're listening to episode 194 of the Comics Pals. I'm sorry, the West Coast Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together. We the surfing pals. Going out for the the luau. I would love to do the Umbrellas in our coconut drinks. Yeah. Ooh, coconut mojitos. Oh my god, this is so super gnar. Stop, let Sean go through. (laughs) Because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. There we go. Thank you. I did my bit, so. Oh, okay, great. Well, welcome to the show. (laughs) So, uh, I want to start the show by asking Marco about a certain package that just arrived at his house. Yup, yup. Me? Yeah. No, uh, I think you're mistaken. I feel like if that if that had happened, you could probably check it out on Instagram or something. Right on our Instagram stories, I feel like you would definitely have done an entire series about this package and this this book that you're reading. No. Uh, well, I, I will say I ha- I'm not reading it yet. I I just got it. I haven't haven't gotten a chance to sit down. I got it later later in the evening uh, after work, and. Uh, I cried for a little bit, you know, trying to mentally prepare. So uh, I'm, I'm getting to the right head, the right headspace before I, I start to tackle this. Are you going to try and do it all at once? So the plan was I was going to read at least an issue a day to try to finish the book by the by the end of the week, so I can talk about it. But I do can also kind of want to wait. Talking about, by the way. Uh, so I'm reading Onslaught, the uh, the 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 epic event that is onslaught and why are you doing this and, uh so i recently won a game of uh smash and to to appease sean i i decided you know what we'll we'll give this to him and we'll 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 have him select a certain event for me to read and and that's what i'm doing i'm, I'm reading the event that was selected for me Wow. Is that how you remember it, Sean? No. What I remember no. is that I beat Marco's ass in Smash Brothers and now are am torturing him by uh forcing him to read the epic epically terrible onslaught event. Uh he just got the books in the mail. If you want to go see his unboxing and his reaction, you can head over to our Instagram, which of course is Instagram.com slash comics pals, and you can check that out while you're doing that. We are also in many, many other places. We're on Twitter as well, Facebook. Uh, we are on YouTube, where if you're watching this now, we appreciate that very much. And you can leave us a comment, like, share this video with your friends, and subscribe to our channel for more content like this. And if you want to talk to us, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. Or, and or, you can also hit us up on Discord, where uh, we are always having conversations. There are conversations going on right now, in fact. And uh, it's annoying to have Discord going off while you're recording a podcast. But, uh, sorry <laughs> for that. I haven't typed anything. Fucking lie to me. <laughs> Fucking lie to me. <laughs> well, Marco, you're not the only person on our Discord, okay? Uh, so, anyways. I say I was. Calm down, Marco. Whoa, what's this energy, man? Getting very defensive. Yeah. I didn't say anything. Stop typing in Discord and pay attention to the show. <laughs> I'm not, I didn't even do anything. Marco, can I ask you a question? Are you on edge because Mari found out how much you spent on Onslaught? Oh. Uh, no, actually, um, 
she she was happy I was able to get it for cheap. So or cheaper. <laughs> How, I was like, uh, all right, good. You said that uh, you have to get you got the first volume, and you yeah, have to get I, the ori- the original issues. Yeah, so I had to. I I was able to get the first volume, but everything past that was like fifty plus dollars, and I was like, mm, nah, I'm not gonna pay for that. So yeah. I I had to find each of the individual issues, and apparently there's a lot of them out there because I guess it's a long. I, ass I book. wonder why. <laughs> yeah, hmm. and and uh, so I was able to find literally every single issue that that covers the event. How much did that cost? That was like seventy something. Oh my. <laughs> horrible. I, yeah, no, it comes out it, it comes out cheaper, I think, cuz the the books themselves are 60 bucks. Yeah, but like I mean, I mean it's 30. just hilarious how much this is costing you. <laughs> is, is it? Uh, it is to me. It's over yeah. here, yeah. All right. You know, so I I do want to say, right? The goal was not to financially bankrupt Marco, right? Like I didn't know that this was going to be such a costly endeavor. But if you ask me if I care about the fact that <laughs> it's costing Marco so much money, the answer is no. And I'm going to tell you why. Because I feel like if you, th- if, if you take on a bet like this, right, like there should be a reasonable chance that you could win. Bro, I beat you two times, bro. How are you going to just say that? The goal was to win five. You won two. That's worse than doing average right like you did below average you know like you yeah 40 percent is a is a d isn't it or an f D. expected average was zero so i've never gotten a a grade that low it it doesn't matter what the expected average was it matters what whether you won or not and you didn't win so therefore hopefully because of this experience you will learn your lesson, and you won't do this. Bro, anymore. right now, double or nothing. <laughs> Don't come at the king. Exactly. You can't even say double or nothing. You already spent the money. <laughs> the best double it right now. <laughs> Listen, when you, you, when you finish you reading, reading the Cry event, for Justice. <laughs> exactly, yeah. You, you better relax, dude. <laughs> hey, you gotta be, You got to be cutting your own arm off. Oh, spoilers. Oh, um, no, this is great. I think I think you keep doing this. This gives us plenty of content to work with, you know. Yeah, exactly. Marco's making these Instagram stories. He's suffering on the show. Let him keep pissing his money away. Once you have completed your assignment and you've done the reverse book club, uh, you will be free, and then we can dis- discuss another potential punishment for you, if you would like. Dude, that's up to do you. I, do, do we have the to do uh, every <laughs> every book or the entirety of it? Like every volume? Um, Yeah, we'll probably do volume by volume. Right, okay. I think that's easier. Make it more digestible for us, you know? Yeah, it's also the opposite of a book club. Traditional book club is the whole thing. You're going to do volume by volume. This is going to be the opposite of a book club in every single way. And I'm very, very excited for you to have to break this book down for us. And maybe you'll actually make other people want to read it, depending on how you sell it. I like I like that Sean just like basically created the Nega book club. Yeah. And instead of <laughs> instead of one person talking, we're just gonna be heckling him the whole time he's doing it. It's the shadow self. Is that that much different than when Marco hosts a book club? No. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> so we actually 
uh, last week we did the episode where we discussed the idea that superheroes are just cops with capes. Of course, that was in reference to a Time Magazine article that uh, we had read that we thought was really compelling. And we had so much conversation in different places about that episode and about that main topic. And it seemed like people were really interested in having that conversation, especially now with everything that's going on with police in America. Um you know, that's going to cause there to be a more critical examination of all aspects of our lives now and how they intertwine with police. So we did get some some feedback and some comments on that subject that I wanted to uh, share with you guys. Uh, I have the comments. I forgot to put them in the thing, Pete. So I'm just going to read them off YouTube. All right. So uh, from YouTube, we got a comment from Grayson Red, who said, interesting conversation. Uh, we then asked him to elaborate on, on his thoughts on the main topic, and he did that. He said, well, first off, the thing that stuck out to me is the mutual distaste for Lobdell's writing, LOL. Shout out, Kale. <laughs> Fuck Scott Lobdell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is your time to shine, Kale. Oh, you're telling me, baby. But One thing on, you guys didn't shout out, sorry, just yeah, real quick, uh, that dude has been around comics for like 30 plus years. He wrote Onslaught that Marco's right, uh, reading. Oh, yeah, uh, I thought Phil said so, that. Uh, no, he didn't say it. Well, he may have said it uh, at some other point in the episode, but uh, I, I listened and very gleefully listened to that part. Um, and you guys, uh, the way you guys made it sound was like uh, he, he'd only been around for 10, 15 years and he was kind of lurking in the shadows. And that's sort of true, but he was also behind like the Teen Titans uh, when the new 52 launched. Um, like he's, uh, I, I think he has been creeping around the shadows, just like you said, but he's he's also been, you know, he had his time in the spotlight and pissed it away. As Marco's about to find out. <laughs> uh, so Grayson went on to say, but on a more serious note, the copaganda has been prevalent to me since I was a teenager. And not to go off on a rant, but it was mentioned here that cops have been shown in a more layered light since the 90s. But for like 60 decades prior to that, the larger majority of police officers have been shown as monolithic justice fueled and always in the right personas i understand that we have more angles on how the media portrays them now but for the larger majority of american media history police officers have definitely been glorified to an alarming degree that has helped to brainwash people into not understanding that cops aren't in the right 100 percent of the time seriously though i appreciate the conversation as a whole thank you grayson we appreciate that yeah um, insightful comment I think you're right that probably it's probably the case that for many decades prior to the 90s, we did have a problem with the way that cops were represented. Phil, who always adds really great insight, said that that was something that wasn't always the case even back then, that uh, in earlier years, because of the, 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 the fact that we had so much corruption with police uh, and the mafia, that we did see a you know more balanced or nuanced approach to talking about police and media 
And then that changed once the mafia went away and there was a concerted effort to clean up the image of police in the U.S. And that is something that was definitely harmful because someone as someone who grew up in New York, like I know that cops still there's still a lot of problems with cops. And in the 90s, there were a lot of problems with police in the 80s and the 70s. There were a lot of problems with police in New York and media didn't necessarily reflect that all the time. But from the point at which I can reference, right, which is like my time on Earth, which started in 1990, I have never felt like cops were portrayed um, in too good of a light because all of the media that I was consuming showed them as corrupt or at the very least balanced because there were good cops, but then there were also bad cops. Uh, all the cop shows that I ever watched, and I've seen a lot of shows with cops on them, they were always, always, always portrayed like that. So it's hard for me to grasp people saying those things in light of the fact that every single thing I've ever seen with cops in them, except the clear examples of copaganda, like cops and live PD, were, they were always balanced. But uh, I spoke a lot about this. We're going to talk about it a little more later. I did want to get Kale's take, though. Uh, use this this comment as an opportunity for Kale to speak on it a little bit since you didn't really get to do that. Um, I don't actually have that much to say. I, I, I spoke in the Discord this week. Um, I was I was really actually uh, engaged in in the conversation as well. Um, I guess I guess the only really thing I would add is it is it made me think of uh, Brooklyn Nine Nine as a conversation piece of, of propaganda uh, or copaganda as it were. And, um, that's something I've been sort of struggling with as, you know, is this a show about what it would look like if cops were actually good or is it a workplace comedy that happens to be, you know, centered around police officers and the writers have to kind of shuffle their way around the way cops work. Um, so that's something I've been struggling with. It, it hasn't felt right to me to, to watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine since, yeah, you know, all the protests and, and George Floyd's death and everything. It just doesn't, it doesn't sit right anymore. Um, and, and that said, you know, the, the, uh, people involved in Brooklyn Nine-Nine are morally conflicted about how to continue with the show as well. And they're trying to figure that out as well. So. Yeah, they um the writers room had four episodes written for the current season, and they actually threw them all out, and they're starting over um to try oh, wow. to make the show respond to it. And and I will say, um, I I I agree with you, uh, definitely on some level there, Kale. Uh, but I think like as a fan of the show, um, they have tried to like find ways to engage with that topic in previous episodes, and I think it is kind of tough when you are. Like you said, it's a workplace comedy, and like it's not necessarily, um, that's not necessarily the tone of the show, right? But like now, I think to your point, like it's you're at a place where I think ignoring it, particularly when you know the the show is about uh, the NYPD, which to uh, to Sean's earlier point has had kind of a you know a pretty storied history of of a lot of controversy like that. Um, yeah, would be would be weird, you know, like and and I think it would be kind of tone deaf. Um, so yeah, I think it's to, uh, to something you said earlier, Sean, again, it's like 
we're we're in a point where I think our culture is is changing its relationship to law enforcement and is grappling with you know the way that we've related to and portrayed them I think both in the media and also just like I think about like how when I was a kid you know you had like a dare officer come into your classroom and talk to you about drugs and you know the war on drugs and how you can trust police officers and all those things and like that's all stuff that to me now feels super weird that I was kind of trained to you know believe in in the police force in that way um despite the fact that you know I think we we can all agree that it's always been a bit of a a mixed bag at the very least so um yeah I don't know I, I think it's I think it's it's a turning point in a lot of ways hopefully anyway, you know, for just the way that we're thinking. And uh, that's where actual change starts to happen, right? Is when everyone decides that, you know, the way we've been doing things isn't right. Um, to your last point, Sean, uh, one of the things that I, I typically think about is uh, how people who lived during the 80s and 70s in New York experienced experiences are so different from what you typically see or get reminded of like uh was it serpico was obviously a movie but that's like an example and like sort of an outlier and my you know my, my parents my uncles that you know growing up in the in the city it wasn't a oh check it out there's like a cop over there it's like hey be extra wary the the only people i think that they truly could trust i think was when like a guardian angel or something right. stepped on the train and that's like an outside force being introduced at that point and um anecdotal but like obviously it, it, it's it's a different experience on the ground than it is in the in, in media yeah man yeah i i can't even remember a time where i didn't see a movie or a show where there was a cop who was on the take or you know trying to sprinkle drugs on somebody to you know to get a case resolved or something like that i i don't know that's just always been my experience so but again uh really appreciate your comment grayson and uh like i said this is something that we're going to talk about more this episode because we do have the announcement of the gotham pd show coming to hbo max and uh all of this conversation inspired the main topic for this week uh where we're going to talk about whether or not su uh, superhero comics the big two and you know comics in general have a responsibility to deal with real world issues so we've got a lot of that stuff coming up here shortly but uh for now we're going to get into the pals pulls which of course is a segment where we talk about the books that we're excited about in the upcoming week and uh, let you guys know about it. So, ooh, ooh, ooh. hey, what's up? Uh, I'm excited to read Onslaught. Just real fucking pumped about <laughs> X-Mono. <laughs> You're excited to read Onslaught, is that so? Yeah, very excited, very excited. Yeah? That's my pal pull. That, that's going to die real quick. <laughs> I just, I can't. These Instagram stories are giving me life, and I can't wait until you actually start reading the book and reacting to it. So how long are you going to be able to keep up the bit? <laughs> I've had onslaught on the brain ever since this whole thing went down. So I went ahead and I watched a video from YouTube that compiled all of onslaught's quotes 
from the original um, Marvel versus Capcom game. <laughs> and I just want to share one of those with you, Marco, in direct response to what you just said about your excitement. <laughs> Onslaught says, the dream is dead. Now, if you know who Onslaught is, if you know that Onslaught is an amalgamation of Charles Xavier and Magneto, then you understand. What? Spoilers! I don't care. Then you understand <laughs> that the dream is dead is, of course, a reference to Charles's dream. But I'm applying that to you. Your dream of enjoying Onslaught needs to die, and it's going to die. <laughs> Well, it is now that you spoiled the whole book. You're going to hate it all the same. I don't care. I don't want you to. I don't want there to be any moment of joy for you throughout this. I was going to enjoy that. Maybe. Uh, All right. Let's get into these polls Uh, from Kale. We've got Superman's pal, Jimmy Olsen, number 12. Yeah. So this is the end of the maxi series uh, of the, uh, the Matt Fraction and Steve Lieber I don't know, maxi-series. Um, <laughs> this will be the end of the second volume, um, so I'm finally going to get it. Um, that's why I brought it up here. Um, Matt Fraction's my favorite writer. I love um, everything he's done for the most part. I don't get a lot of things he's done, but I really like him. <laughs> um, and Steve Lieber's art, um, even from the the glimpses I've seen from what he did, uh, was it Leviathan they had a... A tie-in yeah. it was like the introduction issue or whatever really good really good and i you know i follow the guy on twitter and stuff and it's yeah, real great stuff so i'm by all, all accounts this book is the the one to to be watched out of um all the superman books so i'm pumped to finally grab it awesome yeah i've heard some good things about it and uh um, that Facebook page that pff, rest in peace, fuck you Facebook um, comic book pages out of context or without context um, had posted some pages from it that looked really funny so I, I kind of want to jump into this one too at some point well speaking of books that Pete wants to jump into uh, you chose Dark Knight's Death Metal number 2 yeah man I was really high on that first issue like I really like how stupid this book is and like how much it like, and I mean that in like a nice way. Like, I I like that it's very over the top and <laughs> ridiculous. And I enjoyed the first series. I enjoyed the first issue of this one. And I, yeah, like, let's go, man. Let's watch B Rex. Awesome. Didn't they get canceled? What? Well, B Rex is still in the in the yeah. The series. Oh yeah, the the B Rex single got canceled, but he'll still be in the the main book. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh. yeah. It's a breakout character, bro. They can't write him out. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And then you also chose Giant Size Magneto. Yeah. So um, for those who don't remember, or maybe if you're a new listener or something, um, we've talked about the Giant Size stuff that they're doing in the X-Books right now. Uh, We reviewed Giant Size uh, Jean Grey and Emma Frost a while back. And um, so this is uh, Hickman again, and he's basically been doing – he's partnering with, like, a bunch of Marvel's best artists to do these kind of, like, longer issues that are very, very driven by the art rather than the the dialogue. Um, so it's him teaming up with Ben Oliver, who uh, you might know from Ultimate X-Men or the Thunderbolts. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously 
I, I, I'm into the whole giant size initiative that they're doing in general, and I want to read any of those books. But it's Magneto, man. Like, you got to imagine this is going to be a cool one. Um, and, you know, Ben does some good stuff. So uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this. And we, we enjoyed the the Nightcrawler one that, that they had. Uh, oh, yeah. I, I forgot about the Nightcrawler bit. one. That one was good, too. It was yeah. all right, yeah. I didn't like it as much as Gene and Emma, yeah. but it was good. Mm. So I chose Empire number one. We reviewed the Avengers Zero issue uh, a couple weeks ago. And then the Fantastic Four Zero issue is out this week. Uh, or it came out this this past Wednesday. But uh, we're not going to be reviewing that. But uh, I am excited still for Empire. I think this event is going to be really cool. It seems like it's got some twists to it that we're not quite privy to yet. Marvel's been playing with um, Hulkling's agenda. They've been kind of keeping that close to the vest. We don't know exactly what he wants to do. And so that seems like it's going to be something to something to pay attention to. Uh, great creative team attached. Uh, Al Ewing is, is uh, really doing a lot of great work right now. So I can't wait to see what they pull off with this one. I haven't been... Really excited for a Marvel event and haven't tuned into a Marvel event in a while. So this is going to be a pretty fun ride, I think. Uh, then I also chose uh, Free Comic Book Day X-Men number one. Free Comic Book Day obviously became Free Comic Book Summer. And they're going to be putting out Free Comic Book Day books all summer long. This is the book we were supposed to get for the X-Men. Marvel kind of shifted their entire publishing line back a couple of months. And so this this is something we should have seen back then. We're getting it now. Supposedly, Jonathan Hickman's story in this book is going to be a lead-in to X of Swords, Ten of Swords, sorry. Uh, and everything that's coming for the next phase of the X-Men stories. And then Tom Taylor actually has a story in this, and I love Tom Taylor. He did uh, X-Men Red, which was very good, and he also did um, Wolverine when X-23 was was Wolverine, Uh, and that was also very good. So I can't wait to see what he has to say in this new era of X-Men stories. So it's going to be good. I hope I can track this down. Most of the shops near me are still closed. Um, I don't know. Maybe maybe grab me an extra one if you can. I might do that. Midtown Comics is open for business. So cool. I'm going to head down there. Yeah, if, if you can, I would appreciate it if you could snag me a copy. I don't know if I'll be able to get out there. Yeah, if I can do it, I will. Absolutely. Awesome. So, uh, again, all of this conversation that we've been having about cops has been – you know, thoughtful and sensible for the most part, and it's a good conversation to have. And I think right now, probably we all agree that it's not necessarily the best time to be, you know, I don't know, launching a show about police uh, in any way, especially a show where a cop is is the hero, right? Well, uh, <laughs> Gotham PD. Or a show about the Gotham Police Department is coming to HBO Max. It even sounds like that show you mentioned, uh, Live PD, when you when you say it like that. <laughs> yeah, sure. That it does. said, you know what? I would pro- I would probably give a show if it were 
styled in that same way, I'd probably give it a shot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That would be pretty funny, actually. So um, let me let me break down the announcement. Yeah, yeah. So this is going to be a drama. It's going to be primarily set in the Gotham Police Department. It's very similar to... Um, Gotham. To Gotham, actually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Matt Reeves is going to be working on it directly because it's set in Matt Reeves' Batman universe, which is pretty cool. From the looks of it, it's going to be a prequel to the Batman movie, and it's going to kind of show us how Gotham is corrupt and how we got to this point with these villains and why Batman is is a necessity. Um, The other major... piece of news that's attached to this is the fact that this acts as an official announcement that there is a Matt Reeves the Batman universe. So the Batman that Matt Reeves is working on is not in the same universe as the rest of the DCFU. This is its own yeah. thing. No, they're saying there's well, I guess things can change, yeah, but they're saying that, I was that just they're kidding, not yeah. well, you know, who knows with Flashpoint on the horizon. Who knows? Yeah, they could always backdoor him in if they want to. Yeah, exactly. So that's the announcement. <laughs> what do you guys think? No thanks. I'm, I'm I'm reminded of Watchmen, in which not necessarily directly a police show, but there are elements there that they discuss regarding policing, regarding certain things of. Uh, allusions to, to f- use of force and I, I think that there are, there are ways to make the show that still have similar tact and if that's what the the premise of the show is going to be about about the, the corruption about how it's not always shiny about how things aren't the way that they typically seem then I don't know that that's anything that can't go out into the world um if it's on HBO, I guess I guess I'll watch it. I don't know. Uh, I haven't really seen any of the other TV shows related to anything DC, but outside of like the first few seasons of Arrow, or whatever. But um, I don't know. I mean, yeah, the the timing is definitely not ideal, and hopefully, if they do launch it, they launch it with some interesting ideas in mind and and topics that they're willing to broach and and. To understand and I guess be ready for the fact that there's going to be a lot of criticism, mm. because that that's I feel like that's going to be people's first reaction. It, it reminds me a lot of the the gun control debate and Punisher, yeah, uh, when that came out because the shooting had just happened right. or, or yeah. something like oh, that yeah, effect. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a pretty apt comparison, um, and I think that's kind of ultimately where I come down on it. You know, in terms of my reaction to the announcement is like it it feels like an unforced error on their part to announce it right now because it's not imminent. Right. It's not like it's coming out like later this year. Um, So why announce it right now when we're at like an all time, you know, uh, sensitivity level about the depiction of the police in in media? Right. Um, It just feels like you it feels like whoever's in charge of PR should have been like, hmm. Maybe let's announce that like 2021, you know, like January. Like let's let this fucking 
powder keg cool off a little bit. Um, so I think with that in mind, it just it feels like a weird announcement. And I think you also had to know that there was always going to be people who would be like, so it's Gotham, right? It's like the name is very similar and it's the same elevator pitch. It's a story about the Gotham Police Department. Okay, we've already had one of those. So what's up with that? And it's a prequel to Batman. Okay, that's the same thing. Great. And I'm sure they're going to be so different. But I, I feel like you should have known that this is going to be the reaction to it. And, like, I don't know, maybe had more to show us or, you know, just pick your moment a little bit better. Um, but, I mean, in terms of my reaction to the actual announcement, it's tough to say because I'm definitely not um, – you know, like, I don't I – don't, think that there's no room for for media about the police anymore, right? Like, uh, to Marco's point, if, if this story is supposed to be about exploring the corruption in Gotham and why Gotham is such a shitty place that it needs Batman, um, that could be okay, right? Like, that, that could totally work um, if it is interested in doing that, right? And if it is like a there's a Jim Gordon or like a Jim Gordon stand-in character who's like the good cop and everybody else is a fucking scumbag or something like that, and it's really like you know like I, I feel like there's like there's room for this to exist without being controversial, um, but I don't think there was any way that its announcement couldn't be controversial. How controversial has it been? I've only seen a couple of tweets around it. And and those were basically um, just uh, laughing because it's a Gotham ripoff or whatever. I've actually seen quite a few people uh, posting about the nature of this, the timing of it. A lot of people were talking about uh, how this should have been a, a We Are Robin show um, that deals with this from the perspective of young young people in Gotham, minorities. Uh, things like that, dealing with Gotham's ills from their perspective and showing why Gotham needs a Batman. Um, That's, I mean, you know what? That's a different spin. I like that. Whether it should have been that or not, but it's an interesting spin yeah, for sure. Yeah, right. Whether, I don't think any anyone can say what something should or shouldn't be, but I, to your point, Kale, I think like you, you wouldn't draw the line to Gotham if that was what they were going to do, right? You'd be like, oh, that's different. Yeah, I think uh, for me with this, uh, I actually have always wanted a Gotham Central type of show. And I think that there's a lot of really good potential there. Um, Gotham is a lot more than Batman. And yeah. I know that the Gotham television show tried to show that. But I watched it. I actually watched it. I watched the first season and change because I wanted a show like that so bad. Um, but it, it had all the same trappings and problems that all the other DC shows do. And I couldn't stick around because it was just so goofy. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm a stickler for continuity and for things making sense in line with other things and that show didn't even try and that's fine that's what the show was doing but when you have like the riddler is 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 around and you know bane and all these characters are already around and they're essentially jim gordon villains instead of batman yeah. villains i can't i can't do it with that to know that this show is going to be executive produced by matt reeves who 
is working on the movie that immediately creates a tie to the movie. It, it immediately means that there's continuity and things will matter. Um, they're going to treat it differently than a show on Fox will. There's no question about that. Terrence Winter is a director from The Sopranos. He's a super talented writer as well. He's going to add... He's the lead writer, right? Uh, they, I didn't read that. Uh, Variety says that he is an executive producer and a writer. Okay, yeah. I mean, that that to me is a... That matters a lot. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of where I think the bar for quality is. Exactly. So that to me is ultimately what matters. The reaction to this announcement is irrelevant because in 2020 whenever when we get this show it's going to be about the quality nobody is going to care that this show was announced at this time because they're not even going to remember now if things get worse between now and then with you know our relationship to police and things like that it's very possible that people reject the show on that premise alone But one thing that I think you can't underestimate about Americans is their desire for good television. And so if the show is good, all of that other stuff will probably fall by the wayside and we'll just watch and enjoy a quality television show. So that's where I fall on it. I don't think this is a big deal. I do agree, though, with you guys that this announcement, given the fact that the show's not coming out next month, didn't need to happen now. Eh, Push it back. Wait till uh, November or something. I don't know. But yeah, again, it's not going to affect this show's trajectory in any way. I don't believe it will. I, I think you're probably right because of how long it is until it comes out. Like everybody can – maybe that was their thought too, right? It's like let's just announce it and let everybody like get angry about it now. And then like when they see what we're doing, maybe they'll feel differently. But also, it probably gets them the the rage clicks and the you know it gets yeah. jerks like us talking about it. Sure, you know. So also, I didn't realize uh, Winter he has a lot of other stuff uh, that he's responsible for that's real good. Like he did, uh, he created Boardwalk Empire for HBO, which was another oh, wow. really really good show. And he actually wrote the screenplay for Wolf of Wall Street. Yep. Huh. So yeah, uh, it's pretty. It's pretty good chops on this one. I think there's a good chance that it comes together and is something worth watching. Yeah, we probably won't have a reason to talk about this until there's some kind of a trailer, which is probably a ways away. But uh, as an announcement, as a concept, very excited for it. Pretty chill. Now, this next announcement got the exact opposite reaction that the Gotham PD show did because we now know who will replace Ruby Rose as Batwoman on the CW television show. Uh, Javicia Leslie will be the new Batwoman. We don't know what well, we do know. She'll be playing a character named Ryan Wilder, but we don't know who that character is because she's not from the comics. Uh, we did read a few weeks ago, the, the breakdown of that character. She's smart and feisty and, you know, she's not likable or whatever the whatever the hell. No, they, she's likable. Oh, she, she's likable, she's messy, likeable. a little goofy and untamed. Right, right. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, so it's important to point out for those of you who don't have an article in front of you. Uh, this is coming from The Hollywood Reporter. Uh, Leslie is black. And... 
that is important for a lot of different reasons. Um, this will be a black woman led television series. That's pretty cool. Uh, I would imagine it's the first of the super of of any superhero show to have that distinction. Can't think Does of Watchmen count. Uh, okay, Watchmen. Vixen? Yeah. Watchmen, yeah, I guess would count, but I mean, shit, that was uh, <laughs> a few months ago, right? So, yeah. and and also, uh, if you want to go back to hear that uh, episode one eighty seven, we actually interviewed Tom Payer and Stuart Moore on that episode as well. If for um, when we talked about Ruby Rose leaving the the series, there you go. Uh, the CW also had a uh, a Vixen show, um, that I think was animated, and they might have done a couple of um, the CW online shorts. But if you don't count that as like a, uh, you know, a long-standing show, then yes, right, I think this yeah. was the, the first one. This is definitely a bigger deal, right? Like this sure. is a, this is yeah. the lead role on one of their like you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like tentpole series. Yeah, tentpole. Now, yeah, you know, like they've been positioning this show as like the next big thing, kind of. I think I think Berlin it was universe. supposed to lead the the next like story arc for the Arrowverse or whatever. I think you're. I feel like we read that yeah. in an article when we were talking about this at some point, and that was like part of why this was so crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, definitely that is that is a huge deal. Um, and uh, yeah, like you said, I, I saw a lot of really positive reactions to this, which is which is good. Yeah. Are, uh, are any of us gonna watch it? I don't watch any of these shows. Yeah, probably not. You know, like I, I just I'm not I'm not interested in them. Like I tried watching Arrow. Uh, a few like when it was new, I watched like the first season and a half, and I just meh, it's not for me. I feel like these shows are more aimed at like teens. I don't know about that. You know, it's people watch it or they don't. Like all kinds of adults yeah. like this. Um, my, that's true. My grandma actually. That was the one thing we bonded over was Arrow and and the Flash. Yeah, that's fucking awesome. Yeah. <laughs> If I didn't watch it when Ruby Rose was playing Batwoman, I'm not going to watch it because the actress is black. Um, that's just not – that's awesome, and I'm, I'm happy for it from the perspective of we need more of this. But that doesn't mean that it's going to be a better show just because the main character is black now. Um, whatever – kept whatever kept me from watching it before will most likely still be true and it's the in-house style of the cw superhero shows so there's no reason for me to tune into this i did want to read a quote from javicia leslie uh regarding this opportunity she says i'm extremely proud to be the first black actress to play the iconic role of batwoman on television and as a bisexual woman i am honored to join this groundbreaking show which has been such a trailblazer for the lgbtq plus community so she's she's had some some uh prior roles and things that she's done uh she was on a show called god friended me uh, over on CBS, which was also uh, produced by Greg Berlanti. So there's the relationship there. Um, oh, yeah. cool. And then she was on some uh, BET shows as well. So that's awesome. That That's really I cool. I mean, it's, yeah, it sounds like it'll work out, right? Like, especially if they've had a working relationship and everything. She sounds like she's 
you know, a TV person, so she'll work with that workflow in the way that that seemed to be the problem for Ruby Rose. So, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's clear that these shows like, just aren't for us. You know, we've never gotten into them, but I think overall, like, for this announcement, super cool. Like, it's great to see, you know, um, there be a, a superhero show that's led by a black woman, let alone a black queer woman, right? Like, pff, like there's definitely not been an example of that. So that's that's great. Uh, that's definitely a win for for representation there. I hope it. Uh, I hope it. I hope it goes well. I hope like the people who are, you know, in on that um, universe, you know, respond to it. Yeah, I think they will. I think. I think uh, whoever watched it before will probably continue to watch it. And I also think, quite frankly, that there are people who never gave it a chance that probably will now. So, yeah, why not, right? Yeah. Here's an announcement that uh, I really, really don't understand, and I, I, I want, I want to understand it. So, Image Comics put out a teaser image that simply says crossover. On a black background, uh, the word crossover is written in white, and then there are three dots underneath it, and just the image logo. And that's all we got. That's all we got. We know that in November, there's some kind of crossover comic coming, because um, uh, the tweet that this was accompanied with said, November, hashtag crossover comic. Now, I think... That this most likely is not in reference to an image crossover. It's most likely a comic book called Crossover. And they're using this to kind of drum up some interest. Because they know that if image says crossover, that could be insane. But If this article gets written. Right. (laughs) Do you guys agree with that? Or do you actually think that this is in reference to a crossover? Maybe Image United. The uh, long rumored, confirmed, but not available crossover that uh, Image was working on many years ago. So I am of two minds. Um, I definitely had the thought that you had, Sean, where I, when I saw the hashtag, which is uh, the caption was November, hashtag crossover comic. So something about that crossover comic makes it to me feel like it's a series, right? Um, called crossover. That doesn't mean that it can't be an Image United style event yeah. though, either, I guess, right? Uh, and it's, you know, you, you called out Image United, but that's also something that Image uh, has tried to do a few times over the years. Um, I'm I'm aware of this because I'm, I'm such a big Invincible fan, but like in 2006, around that, or 2005, I think it was, um, they did a similar thing like this, where they were like pushing uh, a kind of like, oh, this is going to be the image superhero line and all of the characters have their own universe, but they exist in each other's universes. So you'll see them cross over sometimes. And it was like Invincible's first appearance was in like a promo book that was kind of about that. Uh, And like in Invincible, there are a few different beats where like, they're not major characters, but like, oh, there's this thing and we need to summon all the world's heroes and like Savage Dragon and Spawn and Witchblade and shit like come out of the ether and, and show up. So... Um, and there's like a funeral at one point where like Savage Dragon's there and he's like, oh, sucks, man. I knew that guy too. You know, like it's, so it's like there, there's, there's a history for that, but it's never actually like, it's never come together. It's never really happened. And I could see right now, like with image being in a position where 
obviously, you know, you got to imagine sales are down for comics overall because shops are still, you know, not open in some places. It's not always easy for people to get access to their books. Less books are going out in some cases. Like, this might be a really cool way to, like, get hype and drum up business and, you know, and, and like, maybe bring back some legacy characters like Invincible and, you know, um, and stuff like that in, in ways that are, like, out of continuity so that you don't have to disrupt the ending of that story, you know? Uh, and I, I could see that as a marketing tactic because, again, like you said, like, they teased this not that long ago, like, something like this, and, and it did get hype. It got attention. So maybe this is the time. I do want to just throw out there that Todd McFarlane, um, you know, we, we referenced him many weeks ago when this whole thing was going on uh, with how the virus was affecting comics. And he had, he had suggested a, a massive crossover as a way of kind of reinvigorating interest in, in comics and helping stores out. So I wonder if maybe he was tipping his hand at something that he already knew was being worked on. Or, like, he was putting it out there because he wanted to get other people who were interested. Yeah. You know, of like, I'll say this and maybe someone will be like, yeah, I'm down. Right. I mean, that's like, you think, like, that's why Amalgam happened in the 90s, right? Was that business was down and Marvel and DC were like, fuck it. Like, <laughs> let's let's do it. Like, you know? Yeah. So who do we, who do we think the crossover is going to be? I think is the big question here. My bet is Spawn. I think it's the, the dead baby seal from Saga. Oh. I think it's going to be the... Um, uh, he dies? Yeah. Oh, my God. Bummer. I don't know. I don't read the book. I've only ever seen it. Oh, he just um, made that up. Oh. Okay. I was going to say... <laughs> Is he dead? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I haven't read the last, like, two issues. <laughs> the, the, half, uh, the half zombie that crawls toward uh, Rick at the end of the first episode of uh, Walking Dead. So you're crossing over True. TV okay. now. Well, yeah, why not? All right. <laughs> and Rob Liefeld. I think just Rob that sounds busted, yeah. actually. It sounds really good. But you don't show his legs. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's only from the waist. Feet, cargo pants <laughs> no all the way up. Yep. I think it's going to be the whole crossover. I'm into it. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, I think it would be chill if they did, uh, like, a, a maxi series that was just, like, a crossover of some of the more iconic, like, you know, like, image legacy characters. Yeah, I think that's a... When, go ahead. When you say legacy characters, what are you talking about? Because you I mean, said like, that before with Invincible. I mean, Invincible is a book that ran for 14 years and has 150 Okay, but what's the other one? I mean, Savage I know, Dragon. I know you Spawn, know one. Which, I know you know one image book. Okay, I listed several <laughs> others, but if you want to be a fucking cock about it, I do. Let's um, hear them. Well, again, Spawn, Savage Dragon, Witchblade, uh, Magdalene, maybe. Um, Give me three more. The Darkness. Oh, sorry, it's not my the game. Darkness. <laughs> a Young Blood, right? Like any, any of those characters, Prophet. You know, like there's a ton of characters that like have been introduced and are still being written or have been reimagined a few times over or whatever. Like image has a bench of characters. I don't think all of them are as popular as spawn, but you know, not everyone on the team needs to be like of equal billing. So I hadn't seen the, the tweet and because of that, my first thought was like the chew and outer dark crossover that they did where they've been selecting certain books and like crossing them over individually. 
So I thought it was something related to like that's, that where they expand that a little bit. But maybe do that as like a line. That would be cool. Yeah, that'd be interesting. Be kind of like when DC did the like DC Hanna Barbera one offs. You know, like oh, you just yeah. have to beat yeah, these yeah, yeah. like random pocket universe crossovers. That'd be neat. So that was that was my first thought because I, I that's the only like crossover that I'd been seeing recently. Are you guys intrigued or or do you want an image crossover or are you not into it? I'm go ahead, Marco. I, I'm not into it. That's not what image is like about. It's it's typically individual individual stories, individual universes contained ideas and that's the appeal for me anything that starts to combine things in mass i think is sort of counter to the whole ethos of the company and and like what they represent in in the comics industry so i think it like if they were to do that i think it'd be uh sort of like a stone to swallow but i mean i wouldn't it, it wouldn't be for me okay I think for me, it's not something that I'm uh, like hype for. It's not something that I'm asking for. But if they were to do it, and there were interesting combinations or interesting um, creative teams, like I, I could see myself giving it a shot. And I think particularly, um, I would be really stoked to see there be like some kind of nod to Invincible, the same way that there was just that like Negan returns one off for The Walking Dead, even The Walking Dead's over. Um, that would be cool because I don't want there to ever be more invincible. It ended perfectly, but giving me like a a random snippet of a version of Mark when he was younger, I would definitely be down for for that again. I think that would be like a fun um, memory lane type thing for me. Yeah, I mean, I for me, it's like why not? You know, I I don't. Uh, yeah, it, it, the characters are not characters that I'm connected with. So maybe it's possible that if you are, that's something you don't want to see. But I think that the image characters are pretty cool. And I can't imagine a reason why if you have a good creative team with some good characters attached and a good idea that you wouldn't want to do it. And uh, it's definitely something that can get people in shops. I think image has a lot of fans. And image, I don't think, gets enough credit for having... A diversity of fans in the sense that there are a lot of people who love image that have ne- probably never read any of their superheroes or or their you know powered characters like that uh, meanwhile on the flip side there's probably a lot of people who only read those there's probably a lot of people who mix mix and match or are not necessarily image fans but it but but happen to be fans of image books so I just think there's so many kinds of image readers and to be able to unite a lot of them together to read one book, that could be pretty interesting. I honestly think that's Image's biggest problem is like the way that the company's built is everything feels so siloed. And I think that like creatively that, you know, to Marco's point, is for the better um, because it lets each book stand on its own and, you know, you don't you don't have to know everything else. Like that, I think the fact that you can kind of take Image books a la carte is like a huge part of why their model is so successful is one book needs to connect with you. That's it. Um, But I think it's kind of shitty 
that there aren't more people who are like me and Marco who would be like, yeah, no, I'm a fan of Image. Like, I, I am, I fuck with Image. And I know people like that, but I don't think that there are a lot of people that look at the brand of Image the same way that they look at, like, the brand of Marvel or the brand of DC. And I think that sucks because, like, Image is awesome. And, you know, I think that they are responsible for so many of the best books of the last several years. Um, so, like, I I want to see Image's name be more well-known so that more people, you know, to your point, like, go do and go and check out the library, you know, and, like, and see what's there for them. Because I think, like, no matter what kind of comic book reader you are, there's a book for you at Image, for sure. We did a main topic about that, actually. Uh, or it was a part of a main topic that we did where we were talking about what the next 10 years look like for Image. And one of the things that I said was that they needed to find a way to get people to recognize Image as a brand, not just an umbrella for a bunch of books that have nothing to do with each other. So uh, this would be a way to get towards that. So if it ends up being a crossover of their books, I think that that's a great idea. Um, But they have to be careful because at the same time you don't want to you don't want to become Marvel or DC. So the way they approach this will be very interesting going forward if it is in fact an actual crossover between image characters. If not, brilliant little bit of marketing. Yep. <laughs> am, am I crazy or does Donny Cates have something to do with this too? I thought I saw that. Donny Cates I believe does have something to do with this or he well he announced that he was going to be doing some books some uh some creator owned books and I believe they're coming through image yeah so I'm I'm looking on his Twitter now and his header images and his pinned tweet are the ellipsis oh the three dots so okay he's got to be working on it yeah. and, and Interesting. Uh, the the episode that Sean was talking about, the future of Image Comics, is 169. <laughs> nice. nice. Love that. Thank you. That was a good episode. Yeah, I remember it fondly. So, Marvel is expanding. Can you believe that? As if they're not big enough. Uh, they're actually expanding, though, their relationship with Scholastic. They're going to be doing original graphic novels. For Scholastic, uh, which will be debuting spring 2021. They're fucking coming for you, DC. Yeah. They're going to be fucking swan diving in money is what they're going to be doing. Like Scrooge <laughs> McDuck. Yeah, dude. So, uh, Newsarama, which of course is is now melded with Games Radar. Uh, they've been I thought absorbed. you said melted. And I went, yep, that's right. That's true, too. <laughs> However you want to take it. Uh, they're reporting that this will be a, a a whole new line, which will the original the the new graphic novels um, will star Miles Morales, Kamala Khan, and Shuri. So there will be three uh, that star those characters, and then you know more to come. Uh, and and they also say that these these will be published as part of Scholastic's graphic media imprint. So that's pretty cool. Um, Marvel Entertainment had a spokesperson, uh, Lauren Beesom. She said, ever since 
He entered the Marvel Universe a few years ago. Miles has struck a deep and personal chord with fans around the world. As Spider-Man, he embodies that classic coming-of-age story, but as Miles, he represents so much more, and his life experiences, his culture, and his ability to embrace his inner strength make him one of the most important and inspirational heroes in the Marvel Universe. And I think, this is me speaking, that Miles is a perfect character to be a part of and lead an initiative like this with Scholastic. Absolutely. The uh, the promo art for it looks great, too. It's got, like, a very, like, soft, uh, like, almost, like, you know, like, I don't want to say Disney because it doesn't have that look to it, but it's got that very, like, soft classic kind of animation look to it. Um, like, it's, like, perfect for, like, an all-ages book. Yeah, I totally agree. I think this this is this is cool. This is perfect. Yeah, this is a great move for them. I mean, like it's 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 uh, that's like how you ensure the future of comics, but also just the superhero business in general is get them while they're young, man. You know, like that's that's it. Like you make a connection with a character when you're at that age, like, and you'll buy and consume that stuff forever. Right, like that's where we're why, why most of us are here. Um, so yeah, I mean, I I think not not doing this, you, you do it at your own peril. So like it, seeing how successful it's been for DC over the last couple of years to expand into the book market and specifically target you know uh, young adult books, yeah, like it's about time that Marvel did it, and the fact that they're doing it with you know kind of their newer generation of characters. I say newer, Miles and Kamala are both old at this point, but. You know, they're definitely, like, characters that are more connected, I think, with this generation and maybe the, the most previous one than, you know, with ours or whatever, right? We were already adults when they were created. Um, so, yeah, I think having – leading the charge with these younger characters who kind of represent the youth of Marvel now, yeah, let's do it. To your – to your point on on like what DC's done, like their their DC Inc. line is similar to to this, and I think that's been to your point has been pretty successful. They they they're coming out with a, a number of of books still, and yeah, I mean if if you're if you're trying to expand your your reach, you have to go to bookstores, uh, do something similar to like the Walmart thing that DC's doing. Maybe do it at a TJ Maxx or whatever, like. It, the the idea is to expand the the base of those readers and it's especially good to get them when they when they are younger just because to your point Pete, like you they'll connect they'll be able to connect to the stories and characters much easier i think because they are still in like a maybe in like an, an emotionally developmental way and it, it it hooks you right and from that transition them to being purchasers down the road it's like it's a longer term play than, you know, uh, launching something in a comic book store and like go buy this Miles Morales book. And not, you know, and I think particularly them uh, partnering with Scholastic. Like, I know anybody who I don't know what it's like if you live in the city, but like I know, um, you know, when I was growing up, like the Scholastic Book Fair, yeah. would come to the school and you go to the cafeteria, and it's like that was like a big deal, you know, and like I know. I got any comic that was there every time. Like, I got the Pokemon Adventures manga and, you know, like, all kinds of shit, you know, like, from from Scholastic. Uh, so, like, 
I know if I, when I was a kid, if there had been a Spider-Man book, I would have eaten that shit up. And let alone Miles, like, Spider-Verse just happened. Like, how many of those kids went and saw Spider-Verse and think Miles is the shit right now? And now he's going to have a video game coming out this year. And then this book, like, yeah, man, like, totally, dude. Strike while the iron's hot. Like, it's like your chance to get a whole generation of kids to look at these characters as their characters. And then when they're our age and there's a new one, they can complain about that and be upset. <laughs> It'll be great. The cycle continues. <laughs> there's also like less stigma around it. I think I remember going to those book fairs and seeing graphic novels and comics and not necessarily being the first thing I, I got, got to. Um, hey man, they were, I, I've said this in the past. My parents were like, yeah, we can't it's like, go read a book. Right. Cause like, it's not literature. And, and that's not, my, <laughs> I never had comic books at my fucking book fair. Oh, really? <laughs> oh that was <laughs> no. You're like the, what the hell? <laughs> yeah. the The last book fair I I went to was when Episode One came out. Oh, that's all. That's how old I am. If that gives I, you a picture of it. All right. I, I got remember. I got the Journal of Young Anakin Skywalker. Oh yes, my yes, god! Yes, dude, crazy. I had that too. I got that at the book fair. And I had a, there was a series of novels that they had about. Him, his journeys as a Padawan with Obi-Wan, and I, I got that too. It was like a box set. I don't think I got those, but I got the ones with, like, it, they were young Obi-Wan as opposed to Anakin. I think I read one of those. Yeah. Yeah. God, I was such a fucking dork. <laughs> <laughs> but, but like, the the idea that it's, it's more accessible now, more, like, accepted is also a plus because that can yeah. be the first thing you pivot to. Superheroes are mainstream, right. you know, like, I, I don't think like, uh, I don't know. Yeah, this is just, this is just an easy way to take the passion that a lot of kids have for superheroes because of movies and cartoons and all this other shit and funnel it towards reading. Yep. Yeah, it's overdue. Oh, Calvin and Hobbes, I used to get at those too. That was another oh, yeah. one. Oh, yeah, dude. And Classic Book Fair fucking kicks ass. And what is it, Dog, Dog Man? Uh, it's like the biggest thing... But that, before Dogman was Captain Underpants. Yeah, yeah, I picked that shit up. That is the best. Yeah, dude. And that was, pages, that was a comic too. Pages. No, it was. It was, it was uh, like certain images. It, it wasn't like paneled, but it just had like the flip images. It was, it was text. Some of it was paneled. Uh, I don't remember. I think, I think there were pages where, what were they? George, George and Harold? Yeah. Oh, yes, that's right. Because they, 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 they would show their drawings they made of the comics, comics and stuff. In, and, yeah. in the book, yeah. Right. So yeah, good, good move on Marvel's part, and I think that this is the kind of thing you know we talked about needing to see more of. So you know they're doing it, and Marvel doesn't get the recognition that DC does when they do things like this. But you know, quietly they're doing they're they're taking very similar um, opportunities and and putting themselves in, in great positions. So. I look forward to seeing this pay dividends in 10 years. Well, yeah. and and not for nothing, uh, Marco, I don't know if you saw the the things I tagged you in in our news thread, but uh, the Comics Beat and Comicron just put out their, um, their yearly book uh, projections or, or whatever. Yeah. And Scholastic has 40% of the market versus Marvel's, what was it, Marco, like 8, 4? It, it was like maybe like 12% or something. I think that's even generous, probably. <laughs> but but even from like a unit perspective, they were like selling in upwards of like the millions or something. Yeah, like for yeah. for the single for the single book. 
Amazing. So this is a brilliant move on their part. Huge market to, to jump into. Yep. So remember when we talked about how Null was coming? Again? He's, he's coming, really. <laughs> he's, still, he's still coming, actually. And Jesus. he won't arrive until December. <laughs> one, thing, one thing I was really disappointed in your conversation about that, no one... I, what does it sound like? No one talked about what's this, what it sounds like. What do you mean? Tell us. I don't know. That's what I'm asking. What does it sound like? He's an alien. He's an alien warlord god. Oh, what does it I sound see. like? He's coming. I get it. I get it. No, I don't want to do that at all. <laughs> Damn, that's what oh, we need Phil for. Wait. Does it sound like, wait, Thanos? Is that what you're getting at? No, he, I think coming? he means like, like what, what, what is it? Hey, does he sound like Thanos like, coming? Maybe. You know? Like, remember that video we watched of the Howard Stern of the guy like, oh, oh yeah. <laughs> he might sound like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, He's an evil man. guy. He probably sounds a bit like that. See, that's there, why we need it. you okay. around, Kale. That's a good one. Uh, so what I'm referencing, of course, is that we now know what Marvel was teasing when they put out the Null is Coming teaser image. It- come trailer. <laughs> come, come teaser. Oof. Uh, they were Stop. they were teasing an event that will drop in December called King in Black. This will be uh, that's gonna stain. That's Ew. disgusting. <laughs> this is gonna be an event uh, put together by the classic at this point creative team of Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman. They did absolute carnage. They did. Uh, they they've been working on Venom together. So, uh, yeah, this is going to be a line wide event, not just a contained story in the Venom Spider Verse, um, and it's going to be something. Uh, Kate says, as far as event books go, this is the coolest, darkest, most heavy metal Cthulhu dark horror thing I've ever been able to do. I still can't believe that Marvel is letting us go as dark and scary as we're going. Huh. You got me with that Cthulhu there, buddy. Because, <laughs> which we call it, when, when they did it, did, did this character in uh, Silver Server Black, like that's that's the style. So if, if he's done it in the past, I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, this definitely uh, definitely feels like another book that DC's publishing that has metal in the name. I don't know. Yeah, right. That's what I was saying. Like when you when yeah. you cool dark heavy metal Cthulhu dark horror. It's like yeah, okay. Sound sounds like someone's trying to pick up on some hype. Could be good. Could be good. The king you know comes weird in black. Is Donny Cates released two? white on black um text ads this week teaser images and if you clean up one the other comes up is what i'm getting you clean up the cum you get crossover i don't know all right no no, that was terrible that wasn't bad that was not good at all yeah uh cool I I guess I'm excited. I actually no, actually I'm not excited. I'm just gonna be honest. I don't care. I want to care, but it's like okay. So if you're not reading specifically Venom, 
then Null means nothing to you. But he's going to be the main villain in Marvel's next big crossover. That's honestly when I found out that's what Silver Surfer Black was about, I was like, okay, I'm out. I'm what? Out. No thanks. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, I don't need that. Yeah, yeah I just, I, you know, I don't. Uh, it's like I, it's like it's like Mean Girls. Stop trying to make Venom happen. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing inherently wrong with this, for sure, and if it's good, it's good, but in terms of excitement, this doesn't do it for me. Uh, he He's reminding me a lot of the Batman Who Laughs. If you look at the, the image that they're using of him, he's got this smile on his face, he's pale white, like, it's just very, very, very much feels like they're aping what is happening over at DC, and I know that it's possible to have the same idea at the same time, but the Batman who laughs at this point has been around for several years. So they look the same. Uh, this is being billed as a metal event, you know, a heavy metal event. Uh, it's like, wow, holy crap. You know, as soon as death metal ends, we're going to get death metal at DC. We're going to get death, at Marvel. Death, death null. Fuck, we're going to get death null. Death. <laughs> I like it. Death null. Pete, do you have a different take? It seems like you're trying to get in, trying to get in there. No, no, no. I'm I'm with you. Okay. Yeah. I guess it, could, it could be good, but I don't really care. Like, I'm not reading Venom, so I don't even know who this character is. Show me a B Rex, and I'll and get me in. Give me something like that. I need a, a point v, of entry. V Rex. No. V Rex. His tongue's got a tongue. Uh, oh, oh, see, there we go. There di- we go. A dinosaur, <laughs> a dinosaur with a tongue coming out and it slithered around, but it's got another tongue coming out slithered around. <laughs> you know, that's happened before, actually. I can't remember where I saw this, but I'm having a flashback. I think it might have been in, whew, uh, might have been in Mighty Avengers by Brian Michael Bendis. There was a, uh, a an arc where all these symbiotes came from space. And were taking people over, and they had taken over Wolverine and Captain America and all these different people. And I'm pretty sure that one of them took over a T Rex. I could be. That was a weird. That was a, a storyline that went a couple of different places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a very short amount of time, mm-hmm. like there was a video game of on that same premise. Oh yeah. And yeah, I, that was an interesting story. I hated it. Yeah. I hated it. Um. I feel like symbiotes got way overexposed, and uh, they're not. I don't know. To me, they're not cool anymore. But sound, yeah, sounds to me like they haven't recovered. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I just it's it's like it's the same way I felt um, when they were doing like the Spider Island shit too. It's, just, it's like all right, it's like a lot. Yeah. It's really a lot, guys. Like I, it's too much. Yep. You know, like I'm I'm down with Miles. I'm down with. Spider Gwen, I feel like that's the line. Like we don't three is enough. <laughs> well, you you even left out Spider Woman who came before both of them. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting thing about Spider Island, I, I listened I heard this on a podcast with Dan Slot. That was a um a storyline that they did because that Marvel wanted him to kill Peter Parker way earlier, like a year or something earlier. And Denslot was like, "No, please, just I'll do I'll do something else. Just let me. I need to get to this point to do it." 
And so he, I guess he came up with Spider Island. Hmm. Well, thanks, Dan Slot. Appreciate it, bud. I have you read it? It's not bad. Uh, all right, let's move on. I don't give a okay. shit. Okay, all right. <laughs> Fair enough. So, Marvel is republishing X Men God Loves Man Kills, which sounds like a great idea. Uh, what I think it's interesting to talk about regarding that is that book's history with the N word. That's right, kids. We're talking about the N word. So, the M word? The. No, the N word. Mom? <laughs> mutant. They're called mutants. It starts oh, with an M. Mu- muty. Oh, no, muty. you can't say that. Oh, That's so bad. Oh. That's offensive. <laughs> you got you to gotta, you gotta put the hard ent on there. <laughs> Holy shit. Stupid. <laughs> All right. That's a great way to start a conversation like this. (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) These are the best conversations, Kale. That fucking got me. (laughs) So, uh, for those of you who have read it and forgot or, you know, haven't read it, uh, in the book, there is a scene where Kitty Pride is speaking to someone named Stevie Hunter and they have a conversation that goes an interesting way. Um, I'm going to read the conversation. Uh, so Kitty says, how can you all be so calm? Didn't you hear what he said? And then Stevie says, that's their only world words, child. And Kitty says, suppose he'd called me an N-word lover. And it's all spelled out, Stevie. Would you be so damn tolerant then? Uh, so that's, that's that conversation. Uh, and then in the bleeding cool article that I'm reading here, um, there's a couple of other instances where Kitty pride specifically does use that word. Um, and I, I thought it was interesting to bring up because we've talked before about whether or not comics should reprint books that have you know, uh, racism in them or, you know, things like that. And this is an example of that where Chris Claremont isn't simply throwing the word around just to be cool. And this certainly isn't an example of, you know, racism from earlier years. If you if you have the context, Kitty is using the word to uh, to say, hey, well, the same way you feel about the N word, I feel about you know, muty or the way people talk about mutants and the words they use to disparage us. That's that's what she's getting at. And specifically, Kitty Pride is a teenage girl who's a little bit bratty and has, you know, she's conscientious or she's conscious of the world, but not necessarily uh, old enough or mature enough to be able to talk about it in a way that's not offensive. And so this is how a real person might, a real teenager might speak, might deal with that. So I'm bringing this up because I want to know what you guys think about, you know, and this ties into our main topic of like, is this something that 
comics should be doing, especially big two books, especially a book that is all ages. And uh, do you think Marvel should be reprinting it with with that word included? Um, Go ahead. I, I think that well, to, to the to the first question as to whether or not it should be re, uh, or the last question if it should be reprinted with this word. Um, I think yes. I I I feel like a few episodes back, Phil mentioned that art allows you to sometimes come into contact with certain things that challenge your thought. And I thought that that was a really good point. Mm. And I also think that um, we had a conversation a while ago about uh, a, some sort of book that was not going to be published or, or, or I think it was about Dr. Strange, maybe like, like about whether or not they were going to publish him. And he, they say some offensive things or something like that. Um, but th- the idea there was, well, there oh, was, maybe? there were, it was like the first 25 issues of uh detective comics or something. were going to be reprinted. Oh, something like that. Yes. Okay. And, um, oh yeah. And the first cover was the one that had the, the cover that was, um, like the depiction of the Asian. Uh, yeah. Right. I can't remember yeah, yeah, his yeah. name, but it was like very, very like, you know, stereotypical. And it, it reminded me of that conversation. And I, I think I still feel the same way that this is something that we should be, exposed to given the context and i think that there's also an understanding that um outside of whether or not it's acceptable to write obviously within the context there's additional details there but this is also emblematic of when it was written and to whether or not that's good or bad i don't think is a point but it's a past experience that was that w- that was trying to be told a past story that was trying to be told and th- i don't think that that should be censored and i think that this is a good example of how it can be used to communicate a especially now considering it is coming from marvel people read these these kind of stories it is a, one of the bigger publishers it's the x-men they're all like the big thing right now like I, I do think that there is, um, it's a good thing that they're putting this on reprinting it and maybe not centering it, um, just because it, it starts that conversation. It gets you exposed to those to those things that otherwise you wouldn't have to challenge the way you perceive the world. I think yeah, for me, I think the key here is including. Uh, forward or just a little note that says you know this this book contains uh language that was unfortunate uh for the time and you know we wanted to reflect the real you know uh uh use of the language of the time while also uh, taking a giving the reader a moment to consider how uh bad it is but also you know, a potential, you know, if this is the the specific moment, like the power she's trying to invoke in, uh, you know, what she's trying, what she, you know, the, by comparing it to, to Mutie, you know, <clears throat> but that's in, you know, a, a similar warning is in front of, um, old Looney Tunes cartoons. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Disney plus is full of it. Um, and even, uh, 
even newer reprints of older books uh, over here, especially uh, Tintin and Asterix, have uh, they're reprinted with um, a very similar um, uh, disclosures, warnings, I guess. And uh, I, I think that's that's really important. And, uh, for me, that's that's what will make it, you know, um, a, a good thing. I, I think the Warner Brothers example is, like, <clears throat> very, very uh, astute. Like, I, I really appreciate the way that they address that because I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but more or less the sentiment expressed is that, like, to censor these cartoons or to, like, not acknowledge their existence would be, like, trying to not acknowledge the reality that they were made at all and, like, why they were made and, and the, the cultural context of why they were made. Um, and that, like, you have to kind of own the uncomfortable parts of uh, of of your history, right, I guess. And, like, I think to the point that Sean made earlier, like, I don't think that um, – I like I don't think this this book is racist, right? Like I don't think the intent behind these use the use of the word was uh was racism. It's to talk about prejudice. And I think it's a clumsy um comparison, sure, and like I think it's it's you know, it's worth maybe uh like to Kale's point, like having some kind of dialogue about it or acknowledging um you know, the intent versus execution or whatever. Uh but I I'm definitely with Marco where I, I think to like censor that or to um, not address it at all, ra- like to sidestep it, feels like you're um, you're like whitewashing history to make people more comfortable, right? Like it's like, oh okay, like this is offensive, so we're gonna take it out rather than engage with the fact that you know, hey, maybe maybe this is offensive to some people on some level, but that doesn't. Uh, that doesn't invalidate this work totally, right? Like, I think it, it. If anything, it's like an opportunity for you to look at it and think like how we've changed and and how how comics have changed, you know, and and that 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 in and of itself is like a worthwhile exercise. There's um, there was this exhibit that I went to here in the city. There's a, a museum called the Neue Gallery, and it deals specifically in Austrian and German art. That's like the focus of it. They have a lot of Klimt's, uh, Max Breckman paintings. And one of the exhibits that they had was, it was called Before the Fall, German and Austrian Art of the 1930s. And there was a specific exhibit that I had attended called Degenerate Art, The Attack on Modern Art in Nazi Germany, 1937. Now, mind you, this is a German museum. And what they did was they posted imagery of what was then considered by the Nazis to be degenerate, lacking from an artistic sense, specifically because it came from Austrian and German Jews. And what 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 the the purpose of, of that is to one, confront the history, lay it out, show you what the the context is, to get you into the mindset of what was going on back then and then be able to reflect on it. And I think we're able to do that similarly here as well as with any other piece of art like the dc uh covers that they were going to be releasing like there's a way to be able to insert yourself into what was happening and going on and then reflect on it that is important important to art and important to to the criticism that we do i wanted to read because marvel did put out an essay uh they they hired i i imagine 
a writer named John Jennings, who uh, is a lot of things. He's an associate professor of visual studies at the State University of New York at Buffalo. Um, and he has a lot of history with different um, black organizations and talking a lot about comic books uh, from the perspective of a black man. And uh, it's actually a good, it's a good, um, it's a good essay that he wrote, but uh, Bleeding Cool uh, picked out one piece of it that talks about this issue. If you want to read the whole essay, it is up at marvel.com. They put it up with this disclaimer, or they call it an editor's note. Uh, and it says, Chris Claremont and Brent Anderson's influential X-Men story is represented in a two-part extended cut with all new pages from the legendary creators themselves. The comics are products of their time, portraying the prejudices and discrimination that were commonplace in American society through an X-parable. The essay that follows will examine humanity and its injustices, being a minority, the atrocities committed, and its relevance to the current moment today, almost four decades after the story was first published. Issue number one is available in comic shops now. So this is the part that Bleeding Cool p pulls out and it specifically is talking about this, what we're discussing here, the use of the N-word. So Jennings says, as a result, he doesn't let readers escape the brutality of our society and wasn't afraid to show the messiness of our humanity. He even uses the racially charged N-word in God Loves Man Kills via the mouth of one of the most beloved X-Men, the young and plucky Kitty Pride. While she uses the slur to make a point to her black dance instructor Stevie, it is not without its problems. Kitty equates the idea of beauty to the N-word, a well-meaning sentiment. However, she, like most of the classic X-Men team, can easily pass for a human and are phenotypically white because they aren't perceived as different. That analogy doesn't map well onto how racism is constructed. Stevie states that while Kitty is right to feel as she does, she, a white teen, will never experience the trauma of racism that Stevie has endured and will continue to endure until we end systemic racism. That's a really interesting point, and I'm glad that they brought Jennings on to speak on this, and I love that he said that. And I think that that is something that people have often uh, put out when it comes to the X-Men, at least the original X-Men and the majority of them, uh, that they are good-looking white people. And if they don't want to deal with their mutantdom, they don't have to. They can just live lives like right, like Cyclops and Jean could easily just be a regular everyday couple that has kids and, uh, you know, and, and, and great lives. But I think... That a lot of times that commentary is so focused on how the world perceives them that it doesn't tackle how they perceive themselves in the world. And that conversation comes up a lot when you talk about people who are white passing. You know, there are people who are not white. They're Hispanic or they're black. and But to the outside world, they could be perceived as just being white. If you just look at them at a glance or, you know, whatever, you don't know, you don't think, oh, wow, this person is actually Spanish. And that's a problem because that person, the struggle of their people resonates with them strongly. But in spaces around people who aren't aware of their identity, they can be perceived as being 
not a part of that struggle. So how does that person feel, right? Like how does Cyclops feel that he is a regular old white guy, right? Doesn't have a tail, you know, like Nightcrawler. He's not blue, but he's just as much a mutant as Nightcrawler is. The things that hurt mutants hurt him the same way. He's not less of a mutant because he doesn't look like one. And that's something that I've always felt strongly about when this conversation comes up. Because it's wrong to say that just because Kitty Pride doesn't look weird, that she doesn't have the right to own the struggle of mutants and feels connected to it as I would as a black person just because I look black. Where does the inclusion of Kitty Pride's uh, Jewishness Jewishness come in for you? Yeah, I was going to say that because there is that added complexity of her being Jewish, and and I, I don't know if it's in this issue specifically, but later on they do address it at certain points. Um, sorry, one of the examples in the Bleeding Cool article, like they show another cut from a different issue where she's like speaking at a podium, and she lists like all of these other different, um, you know, racial slurs and and also. Um, you know, other other slurs. You know, for she's for just standing at a podium, just <laughs> listing all the slurs. Yeah, and, and she goes, she says they're labels, they're put downs, and they hurt. Right? She's equivocating like all prejudices, I guess, um, which is obviously messy. But that's why I, I've actually, um, I, I, I think that the analogy um, is like cleaner if you use um, being queer, because I think like that's like. It speaks to what you're talking about with Cyclops' thing, right? Where, like, if you could be closeted and, like, pass as being heterosexual and not have to um, be out and acknowledge that. But, like, what does that do to you internally, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I, like, I think the X-Men are often used well as, like, an allegory to talk about this stuff, whether or not this is, like, you know, the cleanest example or whatever. Well... Again, when it, when it comes to people who are queer, it's like that is not a – it's something that you are, but it's not visibly apparent, right? Right. Like, yeah, exactly. There, you can dr- you know, dress in a certain way that might make people think you're something, but anyone can do that. Anyone can dress any way. So you really don't know unless a person – specifically tells you where you see no no, really they have to tell you because you could even see them doing something that might make you think something and then you're wrong um right yeah so so that's why i feel like this is this is important it's important that we keep this intact the only part of it that kind of uh makes me pause and this might surprise people is just that this is an all ages book and you know that's a little that's a little tough. Like if I you know if my kids watching you know Saturday morning cartoons, I don't know that I necessarily want the N word just being used during it. Yeah. Um. So. But even still, the the subject matter of God loves man kills is heavy. like fucking heavy. Yeah. Is that an all ages book really? That's what the bleeding core article says. That you know that's what I'm I mean, going off. I guess. I guess it's just another. At least I think it would have been considered one. Yeah, just another X Men book. Yeah, man. Yeah, so 
that's the only quibble I have. But in the grand scheme of th- things, that's small. And I do agree with uh, printing it again the way that it is. Now, that I think is a great way for us to dive into our main topic, which, as I said earlier, is about whether or not comics are responsible to speak about social issues. We know that they've always done them, right? Uh, Since pretty much the beginning, that has been what comics have done. They've reflected the real world. They've reflected problems and issues that we're having and talk about them, although it's not necessarily always graceful. Um, And there have been comics that have been just racist, you know, that have used racist imagery within them. Um, for no gain, no uh, n- no lesson to be learned from there. Um, but this was a choice that those books were making to speak about these issues. Stan Lee deliberately did this. Stan Lee wanted to do this, right? And he got a lot of pushback. We know that from uh, r- images that have resurfaced from you know letters columns of, of people challenging him on on using black characters and things like that. Um, but this was their choice. And now uh, it feels, especially over the last 10 or so years, that the audience is calling out the big two to do more to speak about social issues. The audience is saying, this is how we feel. This is how you should feel. The characters should feel this way. And they should say it in the books. And... In light of the conversation we had last week about copaganda, I think it's important for us now to discuss whether or not comic books are responsible to reflect the world at large. After we put out last week's episode, we, like I referenced earlier, had a lot of conversation in Discord about the subject. And one of the people who was who was really vocal was a snake of talent a regular listener uh you know friend of the show and uh he i I just wanted to read a couple of the things that he said he said that uh, first of all he said he really enjoyed the most recent episode glad to see a group of people talking about these topics without vehement hatred for each other or even for the ignorant keep up the nuanced conversations uh he also responded to something that kale said by saying i felt the same way listening to the episode sean was like not all cops are bad and my brain was like acab all cops are bad uh fuck the police had to take a breath definitely wish comics had more superheroes challenging the systems they protect sometimes i find myself agreeing with the villains when they are upset with the order propped up by the heroes at this point because i recognize the systemic bias that's been created obviously not rooting for them make taking terrorist actions to try to change things though just wish they added the that nuance into the heroes that i'm rooting for uh and then i'm going to skip ahead to something else that he had said uh which was uh i can't find it can't find it but the essential point that he was making was that uh he 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 wanted comics to to tackle these issues right that was something that he was calling for and uh that was important to him and i think that a lot of people have presented that sentiment lately but also for many years now you have the other side of the fence of course who say keep politics out of comics they don't want comics to reflect social issues they want comics to be about 
you know, kicking ass and taking names, you know. Hell um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, where do you guys stand on that issue? I have a lot of thoughts and I am honestly conflicted. So I want to hear what you guys have to say. I think for me, there's not one answer to this question. I don't think that art needs to do like one or the other, right? Like, and I think, I think that there are a lot of people who sit on those two extremes where like, what is the point of art if not to say something about the world that we live in, right? And I think that's a valid opinion for your taste, but I don't think that's valid for you to put that on everyone else's art. Um, And in the same breath, when people say, you know, oh, like keep politics out of comics or whatever. Like we've we've torn that opinion down so many times. I don't even feel like it's worth doing it again. Like I think that's a stupid, ignorant thing to say. Comics have always been political, and they will always be political. Um, art is often political because life is political. So, and, and particularly when you categorize anything that doesn't like that, anything that makes you uncomfortable as political, then. You know, yeah. then you're just a fucking idiot, right? Like having a gay character in a book isn't a political statement, right? Like there are gay people in the world, so there are gay people in stories, right? Um, so I think either of those extremes are are. Uh, I think that they're like at at worst bullheaded and and idiotic, and at best pretentious. Because at the end of the day, like you're saying what other people's art should be about. And I don't think that that's, I don't think anyone is in the business to do that. Not even us as critics or commentators, right? We're, we're here to experience a piece of art and react to it. And we can say, I would have liked if this was different, or I think this would have been better or whatever. And that's a valid criticism, but that doesn't invalidate anyone's art. Um, and that that's ultimately where I come down on it. So I think... Where, where you get to the the conversation of responsibility, though, I think that's a different question. Because I think if you have books that want to engage in real topics, then I do think they have a responsibility to, to talk about them in ways that are um, responsible. And I think if you want a book to be a dumb, fun book about kicking ass and taking names or whatever, and you want it to be a popcorn comic, that's fine too. Um, but I think if you're going to do that, there are certain subjects and themes and things like that that you should stay away from, right? Like, and, and I think that that's ultimately where, where I come down on it. It's like, it's a nuanced thing. You know, it's like, what is the purpose of the art and how well is it achieving that purpose if the purpose is be, to be political and it does it in a way that's like hackneyed or offensive or or whatever then you know you take it to task for that but if it's just a book that's like not interested in being political or or saying anything meaningful and it doesn't have the pretense of doing so that's i, I don't i don't think that's wrong at all that's okay there's nothing wrong with stuff that's like disposable you know or, or just like to be enjoyed for the the joy of it right like a dumb loud action movie or like a shallow pop song like like i don't i'm not in the business of like you know uh telling people what they should or shouldn't like like that's okay um 
so I agree with a lot of what you you laid out there, Pete. And I think one of the the things that I just wanted to add to was in terms of uh, like art and the way that it's put out. I think it's also an exp- it's an expression, right? It, a lot of the times, it's it's involved in in feelings and in uh, in form, and I think that's informed by the person itself, and and that's what makes it you know quote unquote political is because it it ha- it's put out by somebody who is something and people have issue with that more so, more so more so than the the piece itself um uh, to varying degrees but especially depending on what's being portrayed and sometimes art is just a reaction to art like it, it doesn't it, it bears a responsibility to have to say something because sometimes it's not even trying to say something sometimes it's just in the mechanisms of whatever it's trying to do uh, is is trying to put out something that is interesting not from a uh, like idealism perspective but from a like a very simple form perspective uh, how it's constructed how it's done and the the that's how a lot of art goes from you know abstracts to cubism to whatever the fuck right is because sometimes you just want to do something different and when uh, the the one the one thing i will disagree with you on is when it comes to art that wants to be dumb and and like fun and whatever kick ass (laughs) right like it if it's trying to say something with purpose i don't think that it should be doing it well or to whatever extent i think that's a fault of the execution if it's trying to say something and something doesn't land because then we're going then we're going to that piece of art and saying what it should be what it should be or shouldn't be and i don't think that even if we disagree with it i don't think that that is fair because to me that's a lack of execution or skill rather than it is a mandate like if you're going to put something out that has to deal with something real world that doesn't involve like uh gay rights right like because that isn't included i don't think that that then devalues the art its message or whatever um nor should it nor 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 can we say that it should have included it which i i that that i think you agree on but like the yeah i want to be clear that that wasn't what i was saying but i could see how that could be interpreted from the way i phrased that yeah yeah and and um but specifically it was whether or not it's executed poorly i think we we can't be the ones to say how it should have been executed or that it can't therefore exist even even if we disagree with it definitely yeah how about you kill mm. the only thing i have to to add really is um uh really the only reason you didn't hear uh a group of people who don't vehemently hate each other is because i wasn't on the episode <laughs> so you know Look, uh, I think that people, my opinion is that people look too much to their media to tell them how to think or to validate what they already think. And that I, I believe is a problem that America has to wrestle with because television and comics are not supposed to be 
the way that you learn about your problems. And I know that that is a byproduct of engaging with those those things. I know that uh, for me, even though the show wasn't necessarily trying to do this, a show like New York Undercover that featured a black and Hispanic, um, two black and Hispanic men as the primary cops on the show definitely impacted me in ways that I didn't realize when I was watching it as a young kid. The fact that they were who they were, even though they weren't necessarily making a statement by being that, was a statement for me, right? Uh, That's how it is. When Willow kissed Tara on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, and that was the very first lesbian kiss on television, the Joss Whedon and, and the crew didn't necessarily know the power of what they were doing. They knew the backlash. They knew that it, you know, that it could piss people off, but they didn't necessarily know that that would help so many uh, LGBT people to feel better about what they were, right? Um, so that's going to happen 100%, and I don't have a problem with that. What I have a problem with and what I'm trying to express right now is the fact that you think that you have the right to tell people what they need to do in their stories so that you can have an experience through them. And that, I think, is weird. I think it's weird that you want to have an experience. So instead of seeking out things that have that or instead of thinking about it and working through it yourself, you're telling Marvel or whoever this is what you need to do, right? In order for me to feel better about the fact that cops are bad, I need Batman to beat cops or I need Batman to be taken to task for his relationship with Jim Gordon. That's strange. I don't understand that thought process. Um, And I think especially in comics where more than more creators that I can think of than not are left leaning, uh, comic books often feature stuff like that. You know, I think comics are historically pretty socially conscious. I think that's fair to say. Um, And it's so odd to me to expect even more than what they do, you know? Um, And and I know I'm talking a lot, but I I do want to get this this out here uh, before I pass, is that comics are not like television. For example, if you take a show that lasts six seasons, that's it. There's no more after that. So they got to get all their shit in, you know? If they don't get it in, it's not getting in. Uh, But Batman will be around after I'm dead, you know? And he's been around since before I was born. So there's so much history there, right? And at some point, Batman has probably tackled what you care about. But that's not going to happen in every single Batman comic because that would be insane. So if if Tom King has a run, if Snyder has a run, if James Tinian has a run, if the next guy has a run, and they all talk about the exact same issues, that sucks, right? So if you want uh, Batman to deal with bad cops, that's fine, but there's books for that. And not every book is going to deal with that because that would be crazy. 
and I, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm coming at uh, Snake of Talents because I'm not. I'm making a broader statement. Um, but it was in, it was partially inspired by our conversation. But that's really what I wanted to say is like comics have a long history. There's different creators with different interests. Creators who don't know about things shouldn't talk about them. Creators who do have a passion for things should talk about them. But that's up to them. And that's the, those are the only people that it's up to. So I would say I agree with most of what you're saying. Uh, I think the only thing I would push back on is I I agree with that on a creator to creator level where like I don't think it's anyone's job as a fan to go to, you know, um, know, Donny Cates or whatever and say like this is what this is what Venom should be looking at. Right. This is what you should be doing in this book. Um, I do think that when you are looking at uh, companies like Marvel and DC that are huge, huge, um, you know, like megalithic entities in the comic space, right? Like they account for so much of the market going to them and, and, and saying certain things. Like I think um, like criticizing them years ago for like having a lack of, of diversity of their main characters was a fair criticism. And they responded to that and have like a bunch of new characters that have really connected with a lot of people. Um, like a Miles Morales or a Kamala Khan. And I agree with you that like those things shouldn't be those, done. Those DC characters. Did I say DC before that? You sure did. Okay, I meant Marvel. Sorry, obviously. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I think I, I definitely agree with your point about like things like that shouldn't come down to a mandate, right? Like it shouldn't be like a let's check this box thing. But I think part of part of art especially when you're talking about like series that go on for long times and stuff like that is a relationship to your audience on some level and i don't think that the audience should dictate what happens but i think readers also have the right to express what they want and i think you know it's up to then the creators and the publishers or whoever to decide how much that of that they listen to and i think um I, I agree that, like, ultimately the, the choice is up to the artist, you know, and, and that's that's how art should be. Uh, but I also don't think that artists should feel like they're above feedback. And I think, like, that there's, you know, there is something to be said for the idea that, like, if you have, like, a, a writer's room or, or like, a, a, a upper management that is overwhelmingly, you know, like, white straight dudes, that, like, they're going to have a certain agenda that they push in certain stories that get told because those are the people in charge. And I think like, you know, asking for um, for those kinds of changes like isn't something that I think is unreasonable. But I also agree with what you're saying, Sean, where I think if you as a, a consumer of, of art feel like those are things that are important to you that you want, like go seek out those stories because they exist and don't necessarily limit yourself to only looking at main the mainstream, you know, because like the mainstream might not be like willing or, or able to respond to what you want. But like there are tons of, of independent comics that, you know, deal with whatever it is that you're looking for because there are so many comics and a lot of them are very good. And I think that like that's a valid criticism of people who 
make those kinds of demands, I guess, right? Is that, hey, man, like, there's probably that story out there for you. Um, but you, you, but you need it to be from Marvel, or you need it to be from DC. I, I want to respond quickly to something that you said, which is the relationship between creators and uh, fans, and that's a slippery slope because I think you know we look at it as positive in the case of Marvel, where we got you know Miles and Kamala, even though Miles was created by Bendis and that was his decision to make, and Sana Aminat. Uh, who Marvel had on staff wanted to create a character uh, who was Muslim and she teamed up with G. Willow Wilson of her own volition to do that. And that wasn't a mandate on Marvel's part. That was what happened organically. But Marvel let it happen. Well, why would they not let it happen? Because it could be construed as a risk. I think, like, especially when you're looking at Ultimate Spider-Man, the idea of let's kill off Peter Parker, the main character who's been carrying this book, and give it over to a brand new character who's, you know, like a mixed-race young uh, Spider-Man is, like, I think that was a bold decision, you know? that Not not in a spin-off universe, and he also, like, it was also created by a white guy. Two white guys. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that that makes no, that that's less not of true. a white guy and a white lady. Yeah, um, I don't, I don't think that that makes that less of a bold publishing decision. I really don't. It's I, not the same I, as if they killed off Peter in Amazing Spider-Man, sure, but go ahead, kill. I, I was just gonna say, uh, you, in the case of Miss Marvel, I think that that's a a lot bigger risk. Fine, then use that as the example. Well. Either way, fine. I will. Either way, I think what we're what I was talking about was the responsibility of of Marvel to do that, right? And so I don't think that Marvel, the entity, should say, uh, "Hey, Bendis, create a black Spider-Man," right? Bendis said, "I want to create a black Spider-Man." Marvel could have said no, but then that would be something that you could take Marvel to task for because that's Marvel standing in the way of progress. That's a whole different, in my eyes, that's a whole different thing than what I'm referring to because that would be like, oh, so you just don't want diversity, right? You said that white dudes in charge might have an agenda that's adverse to diversity, but we don't see that. Like, that's not something that we see from these companies. My point of saying, of, of bringing that up is that is that's why I think there's value to the dialogue with readers. Where, like, if you have readers saying that I want more, I want more heroes who are people of color, I want more heroes who are queer or women or whatever, and the, the powers that be hear that, I think that that does play a role when you know, uh, Bendis wants to create Miles or, you know, the team behind uh, Miss Marvel wanted to have a, a story about a young Muslim woman. Like, I, I think that the audience, you know, speaking up about those things does contribute to them actually happening. That's an assumption and of the worst, though, man. F- fair enough. But I, I think it's I think it's a point to be made in this argument. I do. Well, in any event, what I was driving towards was that that goes the other way. We saw in the Star Wars example where fans reacted 
negatively to the first movie, The Force Awakens, and then The Last Jedi was the complete opposite of The Force Awakens. Then fans reacted badly to The Force Awakens, or to The Last Jedi, specifically with characters like Rose Tico and different things like that, and then all of those elements were gone from the third movie, due in no small part, I'm sure, to the negative reaction that fans had to The Last Jedi. So, in that scenario, they listened to their audience, and it, well, did it backfire? I don't know that you could say it did. The movie wasn't good, or at least in my opinion, it wasn't good. Lots of people don't feel that way. Um in reference to uh, Rise of Skywalker, but people got what they wanted. So was that good? Is it good? Some people did. Is it? Yeah, some people did. Is it good in that instance or is it bad in that instance, but good in the other, right? Like it's still, it's still fans and it's still yeah. them listening to fans. I think, I think it comes down to the point that, uh, that you were driving towards earlier. And I, I think I, I said something where it's like, I think you have a responsibility to listen to your audience, but you don't have a responsibility to like do what they tell you to do. Right. Like, I think it's like, it's more about like, it, it's a dialogue. It is like you put out the work, people react to the work and the work should respond to the reaction, I think in some way. And I, I don't, you know, I think the star Wars example is a perfect example of like letting that run amok, you know? Um, whereas I think, uh, like a, a great personal example I can think of is like I'm a big fan of Parks and Recreation, right? Its first season is not good. And they responded to how fans were reading the character that they had written and, and getting her in a way that uh, – Leslie, no, taking her in a way that they had not intended. And they course corrected and adjusted the way that she was written to be more representative of what they what they wanted you know, and what they were trying to get across. And I think that's like, that's a good example, right? Of like how you could take feedback and workshop something to get it to where, where it probably should have been. Um, but it's not like a one for one thing. You know, I'm definitely not here saying that like all creatives need to listen to the audience and the audience should dictate the art. That's definitely not true. Um, but I think, you know, there being like a, a desire for, um, for more diversity in there or, or something like that. Like that example, I think is something that like, if there weren't a vocal group of people asking for those things, would they happen? Or would they be looked at as like a, a risk, right? Or, oh, people like in the same way that, you know, years ago, there was the traditional wisdom that like, you couldn't have a movie that was female fronted that would uh, appeal to, to male audiences, right? Or, you can't have a, a film that that stars all you know an all black cast that appeals to white audiences or something like that you know and and I think like these those conversations between creators and the powers that control creators and the people that consume the art like that does drive the like or not drive but it moves the needle. Does anybody else want to respond? I I think it moves. I I, I agree to some extent. I, I I do think it moves the needle and. I think to that dialogue between I would say all three, the fans, the creators, and the the entities, like neither of them have any commitment or responsibility to any of them, right? They're all individual actors. But I do think that, for example, if a company wants something to be a certain way, I think that 
maybe the current slew of writers or creators don't have that idea in them but i do think that there is a creator that does have that idea and and i think at that point it'd be as far as reaching out to those creators that have those ideas that want to put out stories in the way that they would like to see the 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 companies would like to see um but at that point it still comes from a creative place i i i think of like commissions for example like a lot of the art that we have now is because rich people just commissioned it right and yeah. and um to that there are companies that have the publishing power and if you have an idea and it's accepted obviously with um some editing thrown in that but but still there's there are ways to be able to cater to what maybe audiences want that don't conflict with the creator that also embodies what a company might want because art is sometimes flexible like that not not in a do this and produce it but in a hey there's somebody who thinks like this as a fan who has a story to tell as a creator and works at a publication that allows them to tell that story right so i um i think I think it's interesting because when you look at when you look at like Marvel creating Miles Morales and Kamala Khan, those are examples of, you know, man, this went this went really well. This was creators who had a vision, who had an idea, and they were able to introduce these characters and it was a it was a big success. It was a massive success. Um and I, I, you know, we always talk about like Kale. Kale mentioned it. Oh, uh, you know, Miles was created by a white guy, um, and that's absolutely true. What Bendis gave to the world, though, is so much bigger than him being white. And I think that that's something that we forget sometimes. Is like there are kids who will look at Miles and see themselves in that character, and they don't know who created him. You know, like. Uh, Chris Claremont is a white dude, and Chris Claremont was able to take the X-Men to places that, you know, prior to him, they never went. And, you know, no, like more people by far know the X-Men than know Chris Claremont. And Marvel specifically, uh, DC, I, I don't really... I don't really think of them for this in the way that I think of Marvel. And that could just be because I don't have a history with DC the same way. But um, Marvel really hasn't ever stood in the way from what we know, from what's public knowledge of that kind of progress. And it's frustrating for me as a fan that there is there's this mentality. It's it, And it feels mobbish to me of do this or else you know do this or you're shitty do this or you know we we won't read your comics anymore and it's like is that really how you want your stories to be made man like we grew up thinking the customer's always right because of the way that restaurants handle uh people if you complain enough you get what you want and i don't think that in creative spaces it should be like that because that's what hurts creativity the most. Look at what we talked about last week. 
the Time Magazine article where the woman who wrote it said that Watchmen was bad because it ultimately devolved into white guys arguing about power and that the new Watchmen was good because it dealt with race. How could Alan Moore have satisfied that person with the story that he wanted to tell? That was the story that was in his heart, right? And this person looked at it, right? This is his magnum opus. I think a lot of people would agree with that. Maybe not, but... And he poured his heart and soul into it. And somebody read that and said, wow. They, they read the whole thing. They read it and they said, wow, this sucks because ultimately it doesn't have black people in it. And it's about white guys. That's all you got out of it. That's it. That's the end of the conversation about Watchmen. That's what I'm talking about. That is anti-intellectual. And it's so ridiculous that if people were to follow that logic, then stories would lose what makes them great, which is the person telling them. Yeah, and I think I think I agree with with that sentiment when it when you're coming at a creator, right? And I expressed that same sentiment about about Watchmen last week, um, where I think that that's like a really narrow minded view of it, right? You're looking at a piece of work and complaining that it didn't speak to what you wanted it to speak to rather than looking at what it did speak to. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think that that's like a productive way to, to think or talk about art. Um, I think when you like have these major publications though and these like major like creative entities, it goes back to what Marco said where it's like I think the the narrative should be not, well, I want Watchmen to talk about race. It should be like I want a book that talks about race. Right. And like, how, what, who is the right creative to do that and, and why, you know? Um, and again, it's not DC's responsibility or Marvel's or anyone's, right? But, it, but I think, I think that there is something to be said about like, you know, um, I, I guess just the idea of, of being open to that criticism, whether or not 100% of it is valid, because I don't think that that criticism was valid. Um, and I don't think that the new Watchmen or HBO's Watchmen, right, is uh, is inherently better because it addresses that issue, right? Like, no, it's just a different story, and that's what it's trying to do. Um, and I think to the same point that you made about Miles, like, you know, Miles was created by a, a white man and, and a white woman, and, you know, one of the most, uh, prob- arguably the most culturally successful production of the character, uh in, in Spider-Verse was, you know, like Miller and Lord are, are both white dudes, you know? Um, but I don't think that that uh, in any way, like, in, invalidates, like, what we're talking about, you know? Because, like, I think, like, when you're talking about, um, you know, like, that that idea, right, of, of we're, we're using the representation example in this conversation, right? Like, that is something that absolutely, like, like you said about Batman, right? Miles will probably outlive all of us, you know? And like in a hundred years, does it matter if Brian Michael Bendis made him or not? Matter no, I don't think so. What's that? matter now? No, not at all, right? Like I, I don't think so. Like it, what matters is like that the character got made and like, and like what he represents to, you know, young uh, people of color, or young mixed race boys, you know? And like seeing 
that character who they feel like they can connect with and who represents them in their experience, like that I think is where I like why I, I am playing like devil's advocate so much in this conversation is that like, I think that that is, that is, that should be the goal, right? The goal should be like, Hey, like why aren't there more, you know, uh, superheroes who are people of color or why aren't there more you know nuanced portrayals of of female superheroes or something like that and like take that question and answer it with a good piece of art you know and like that that to me is the ideal scenario and that's like that's what where i guess i'm coming from in this dialogue is that's what i want to see that is the the good outcome i think of that kind of dialogue between all the powers that be when you're looking at any piece of art go ahead kale you you seem to want to jump in yeah i wanted to bring up uh milestone because you know we use the 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 example and have several times of miles like we like we said created by bendis right and that's fine um but i think i think the the thing that the thing the the struggle that i am coming to right now is well you know what about characters by people of said race you know so uh, Dwayne McDuffie went out to create milestone and you know, which came out with uh, Static Shock and and all the other characters whom, unfortunately, I can't name because they're not around. He went out and did this, and then I I tried to do a quick Wikipedia of their very complicated history, but DC bought it out, and now their characters are buried. Basically, they've been in limbo. Is the problem? You know, it's like there's been legal disputes over whether DC, like, what person, you know, like, it's, like, very much the Simon & Schuster situation, but it never got resolved. Yeah. So, I, so I guess, like, it's not, it's not, like, like, yes, you're right, Miles is absolutely a gift, but I, th- I feel like the better gift is the one, and I don't even know if I, no, the better gift is the one, you know, the case of Miss Marvel, who, you know, was created by, you know, two Muslim women and, you know, the artist, unfortunately, I, I don't know who they are and I apologize for that for the sake of the conversation, but, um, you know, that it's, it's an authentic representation, right? Which Bendis and, um, Sarah Pacelli, Sarah Pacelli, thank you. I was thinking Fiona Staples, um, which they can't give miles you know the the thing that makes kamala so strong as a character is is her you know and and even as a a a a new sort of incarnation of the the peter parker dilemma is that she has a life and it's deep and it's rich and filled with culture you know that miles is just kind of well Bendis is Miles is just kind of yeah he's a black kid in New York and he's Spider Man oh come on man 
I, I, th- I think to that there's there's two conversations, right? There's to the to the authentic uh, authenticity, authentic authenticity, authenticity to authenticity point. I mean that to me is like an added layer. I, I whenever I think of that, I think of uh, America uh, with um, America Chavez. Call it. Yeah, yeah, uh, but by Gabby Rivera. Yes, and just because she was. I think she's Puerto Rican, but whatever. She was of either like some Latin ex descendant. Uh, like it, it didn't add to the book necessarily because the way that she took the story still went south, right? It didn't, it didn't go the way that or went over to somebody like me who is Puerto Rican who can relate to some of the the words that she's using and and the the family culture aspects. It it didn't connect. And I don't think that that's that should be a limiting factor when creating a character, and that that's to my second point, which is if 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 we don't have that representation, we can't then get to a situation where we have a Gabby Rivera write America to whatever extent that it was good or not, but. I think I think the you have to look at the Bendis example and the Miles example in sort of in, in two ways. You have to look at it as okay, cool. He started he started this character as um, to what Sean said as 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 a way for some child to be able to say, hey, that that looks like me. To whatever extent it is authentic, I think that comes in as a secondary layer when you can then expand on the world by using. Or by having people who have those experiences and make some of it richer, I don't think though that that then excludes Bendis from being able to create this or any other sort of character that is um, of a specific race or you know gender, whatever. Because I think to to me that 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 then limits what they should be able to write and what they do. And if this is a story that he wanted to tell with this kind of character. That's fine. Um, the authenticity can come at some later point, and I think what I think what to your point on what it would be better. I think that's an, an idealized version. To me, something like is Nana the Were Spider, right? That's being written by Greg Anderson, and 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 that's incredible. It's it's a it's a great series. It comes from a it's it's about a superhero. It comes from a culturally representative place, and it elevates the book. But that's not to say that some white guy or some Asian guy or some Hispanic guy could have made that character and told a different kind of story. But it's, it's also what is, what is it to represent culturally a black Spanish kid? I'm black and Spanish. What, how should I be represented? You know, like, why is it that? Cause Kale, you, why does a white guy in Seattle get to dictate? Cause that? he like, created it. Well, yeah, because he, he, he wanted to make idea. the character, yeah. and, that, and 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 I think I think that's the I I I think it's especially important when you think of the context of when these characters were created, because they were like uh, to bring back to something Sean brought up way earlier, right? Like in Buffy, the first on-screen portrayal of lesbian women was in a show created by a white man, and like that's because he could get a show made, you know, and like I I, I think that that like I think when it's done with like in good faith and like with an attempt to, you know, like actually represent 
like you know uh, people of color or or, or people who are LGBTQ or yeah whoever right like that that's what's important right because I because I think then you're putting it in a box where you're saying like well white people can only write about white characters and white experiences or or whatever and like and I don't think that's fair either because like I I think that there are. And not to say that they should be the only ones or anything like that. I think it's just like everyone should have an equal opportunity and platform to tell stories is the problem, and we don't. And I think that's why we're critical of the over um, the over like pres- representation of white voices. But I think that being said, right when Miles was made, like like Bendis was like a hot writer and he could get that done, and he did it, and. Like him being white doesn't invalidate the connection that millions, uh, millions. I, that's probably an exaggeration. Not that many. People probably like not. Comics. That well, maybe fine. We'll say thousands, millions, whatever of young black men or young, uh, you know, biracial men who look at Miles and say Spider Man looks like me. Like that matters. That has power. And like, I I don't think that. I think like that is like it's like creative allyship. You know, like it's like Joss Scott. A, a, a lesbian story across that meant so much to dozens of queer people, even though that's not representative of him or his experience at all. But it's a human story, right? Like romance is romance. Like, and and I think like you're right that in 2020, I want lesbian women to tell stories about lesbian women. But I also don't think that that means that other people can't write compelling characters that aren't like them. I I, I want to. I'm sticking on this because. It's important to me to say this. There's no... Like... I don't care who writes the story that includes a character who looks like me so long as it feels right. And I was like 18 or 20 or something. I don't remember. Like 20, around 19 or 20 when Miles was created. And I remember looking at that character and I was like... Holy shit. This is cool. This makes me feel good. And if Bendis if 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 it's not okay for Bendis to do that, then it just doesn't happen. Is that better? I don't get it. Sana Amanat and G. Willow Wilson creating Kamala Khan is fantastic, and I'm so happy it happened. But that's not superior to Bendis creating Miles just because of who they are, it's equal because that helped so many people. And that's the goal. Now, since then, Saladin, Saladin Ahmed is, is writing both of those characters. Saladin Ahmed is not black. Does he have the authority to tell the story of Miles? I'm, I'm, I'm deli- directly posing that question to you, Kale, because. No, I, I guess by my logic, no, I don't. So who is only a black person? You know, I, why not? Why? Where's well? I almost asked a really insensitive question. I'm glad I didn't. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that, that that it should be limited. You know why? Because Salad and Ahmed is doing a really great job. It's creative stuff. It, 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 it's it's it. If you're a good creative, then you can tell a story. If that story is something you want to tell, what doesn't work is when you tell Alan Moore, okay, Watchmen's great, but you can't do it unless you include a story about race. Because at that point, it falls apart if he doesn't have one. But if Bendis says, hey, I really feel passionate about the idea of this character, and I think it could work, then he deserves the shot to do it. 
And by the way, he's the only person who probably could have gotten that done. And now, look, look at the results. That's beautiful. And I don't think that it's bittersweet. I think it's just good. That's all I think about it. And to your point about Milestone, it sucks that things went the way they did for Milestone. But I don't believe that that is a result of um, racism because DC has clearly been trying to get Milestone back to putting those books out for years. The, the holdup is these fucking lawsuits, which, to be fair, from what we know about them, is about paying Dwayne McDuffie's estate, which they should do. But if the end goal is to get those characters in those books, I want to see it. The same way I want to see more Miles-type characters created by whoever when they have the right idea. And that's all that matters. And, and like, I don't... Like, I don't... Uh disagree with your point entirely kale in terms of like i you know i think like yeah like it would be great if if marvel had been like let's get a black writer to create a black spider-man but like they weren't and bendis was and the fact that like he had that idea whether or not you know his portrayal of miles was uh was like totally authentic or not like he got the character created and you know uh 30 40 50 years from now when people are still making stories about miles and hopefully you know most of them are authentic um, it'll be because of Bendis. But what's authentic? You know, because he, he. What is that? What does that mean? I don't know. I like you. You said right. You don't care if a white person writes a character that you feel represents you if it feels like it represents you. And I think that's what I mean. Exactly. Like, do you know? Yeah. This is the. This is and this is what kills me. And this is why I I get so mad when these kinds of because no one gets to say what's authentic. No one. What's authentic to me as a black person, right, is not the same as another black person because we're not a monolith. That's just not the way it works. Not every Muslim person wears a hijab. Not every Muslim person can speak the language. They're not, it's not a monolith. There is no uh, authenticity. The only thing that feels wrong is when a person clearly doesn't know what the hell they're doing and they're presenting you something that is just off and you know when that's true. But I have never in my life read a comic book with Miles Morales in it, no matter who wrote it, and said, wow, that doesn't feel right because that's that character. Miles is who he is. I am who I am. If you ask the majority of people, oh, do black people listen to heavy metal? They're going to say no, but I do. That's authentic to me as a human being, divorced from my blackness, and that's what matters. I'm not that hot. Sorry, I'm just, it just, I'm passionate. No, about- <laughs> no, I think it's it's a, it's a strong point. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it comes off as hot. Like I, I no, and and you're right, man. Take take my politics out of that comic, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I like all those non-political comics, you know, like before Superman. Right. Well, before black people were invented. <laughs> <laughs> you know, simpler times. You know, like Shakespeare. <laughs> so, in the Bible, uh, which only stars white people, right? Yeah, you know, right around maybe To Kill a Mockingbird is when we can start talking about it. <laughs> So I think that's a that's a, a an okay place for us to uh, resolve this conversation. Unless Kel, you feel like you want to respond to what I said. No, no, I think you're absolutely right. I, I, you know, 
broader conversation. I don't have that much, you know, uh, that much to add. Uh, you know, I, I only, I only had a, a half formed thought about miles, uh, milestone and wasn't able to complete it by the time I had the opportunity to speak. So I tried. <laughs> All right, fair enough. So I furthered the uh, conversation though. You yeah. Know? And, and, you know, that's not to say that I think any, any point that was made was, was wrong or, you know, I disagree with any of it. You know, I, I um, I, you know, I think there's a broader conversation about, you know, uh, representation that is just going to keep evolving. And I think the answer is somewhere between the way we feel. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that it's important for us to use our voices for sure. Um, when we, you know, when we feel that we want something out of our you know what we what we choose to engage with. We spend more time on entertainment than ever in history, right? Um, and so it is important. And but I but I do think that one thing that Kale said was, you know, what about milestone? Um, what about milestone? Right? What about that the idea of choosing to engage with what matters to you when it already exists? Versus compelling people who may not get it, who may not understand, um, to go ahead and do that. There are milestone books, you know. There are um, books written by, you know, uh, black people or Spanish people or whatever um, that are out there that you can find that you can engage with that will speak to you. Hopefully, maybe not. I've read things that were written by black people that I didn't like. Marco brought up the the example of. Sorry, <laughs> I, I have. Is that possible? I I mean, I like everything a white person's read. Uh, made, oh, yeah? So everything? Like Bola everything. Bendis stuff that you love? Well, well I mean, the Bible. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> so, ultimately, I think it's important for us as fans to understand that if we want stories that are quality, if we want good stories, instead of telling people what to do, we should seek the people out who are doing it. And by the way, if you do that, chances are... You're going to be supporting someone whose voice isn't as large as, you know, people who write for Marvel and could use the bump. And that is probably a better use of your time than screaming at whatever uh, corporate entity you want to. Trump supporter. (laughs) There you go. Right. Imagine like Marvel's, you know, I, I Perlman is a Trump supporter. So how does that make you feel in any event? Uh, that's what that's going to do it for that conversation. Let us know your thoughts, though, because it is important uh, that we speak our minds on these issues, um, regardless of where exactly we land. So hit us up on social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com. And of course, uh, you can if you're on YouTube right now, you can leave us a comment before you leave. Uh, share this video with your friends and subscribe to our channel if you haven't. That's huge. And it really helps us out a lot. We really appreciate it. Also. Join our Discord server where you can continue the conversation. We're always having good conversations over there. Good group of people. And uh, no matter what your worldview is, uh, generally we accept everyone. And uh, we have good conversations with people from all walks of life. Um, also, if you shout out yeah, to uh, Snake of Talons for his comments. Yeah. Love that guy. Great guy. Um, if you would be so kind, it'd be cool if. Whatever platform you're using to engage with us, to watch us, or listen to us, you would leave us a review. Those are huge. Help us out a lot. 
Um, we really appreciate that. So let's do some plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me on social media, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come chat with me about what art you're engaging with these days. Um, obviously, uh, we're all stuck inside. Like Sean said, we're engaging with more media than ever. I've got a pretty full plate these days, but uh, I'm always looking for recommendations. So come have a dialogue with me uh, or go to my Instagram and look at cute pictures of cats. Um, I also am going to take an opportunity to plug uh, my band's Kickstarter, yes. which is going on right now. Uh, long friend, time friend. Go to kickstarter.com uh, and search for us. We're one of the top projects in the punk and uh, Philadelphia categories, which is tight as hell. Wow. Uh, we're already two-thirds funded, which is awesome. Only a few days in, but uh, we even if we get to that goal, that will not have paid for the whole thing. So we've got some cool stretch goals in mind and stuff. So um, there's a great t-shirt you can snag that we're only putting out for this. And uh, it would mean a lot to me if you, you know, if you like what I do here and everything, you want to show your support. Um, yeah, it, it would be great. So uh, head over to Kickstarter, check that shit out. And then uh, otherwise you can catch myself over at Loot Pots. I host a Nintendo podcast over there. Um, yeah. Thanks for, thanks for listening. Awesome. Kill. <laughs> You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at TotoInto. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. Uh, don't come talk to me unless you want to talk about ludonarrative dissonance, which is a topic I've been uh, very interested in since the release of uh, The Last of Us 2. Um, otherwise, don't don't you... Listen, don't you dare come speak to me. Uh, you can find my comics and my work for free at kaleward.com. That's C-A-L-E-W-A-R-D.com. Nice. Marco. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Mr. Marco Nomoto. Uh, come talk to me. Well, I, I won't be reading much except for the Onslaught epics. So oh, you're going to be yes, reading a lot. Yeah. yeah. So if you're, uh, if, if you're a fan of that for whatever reason, come talk to me. I'm going to be posting my experiences up on Instagram as well. So keep an eye for those. But um, We'll yay. have like a pinned story on the page. Yeah, it's, it, it's, a, it's in a collection there. But yeah. All right. Uh, it's Phil's birthday. Happy birthday, Phil. Love you, man. Nice. At Cyber you can, you can find him at C Y B O R G B E B O P. Nice. Uh, as for <laughs> me, uh, you can follow me on uh, Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about what media you're engaging with these days, what you're excited about, what you're passionate about, because that's what we're here to do. We're here to talk about what we're passionate about. So with that, we're the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week. Bye. I can't believe we forgot Phil's birthday.